What's up, people? It's Hotep Jesus, and I'm back, as y'all already know, with a very special guest. If y'all know anything about the history of Hotep Nation, then you should already know that we got our start because of this young lady right here, Sonny Johnson. She's the one that first put us on the mat, first covered us when everybody wanted to ignore us. It was none other than Sonny Johnson. She held us down. Only black woman that held us down for a really long time, as far as Hotep Nation is concerned. As, as far as people with status is concerned, as far as people with reach, people with, uh, you know, press access, she was the one. She's been out here doing this thing long before I even got into this thing, long before most of y'all got into this thing, long before Trump was even thought to run. She been out here like Hotez been told you, Sonny, been out here. Without further ado, Sonny Johnson, how you feeling, girl? Blessed and highly favored. What's up, brother? Oh, uh, life is good. Life is good. I'm very excited about our show. Hold um, on, gotta get my swag on. Let me let me. <laughs> Y'all see, she got the Hotep Nation beanie on, right? Yeah, <laughs> got a flex on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose the title of Black Conservative, but I would definitely say I'm Hotep adjacent. I can't mm -hmm. look how to do this correctly in this joint, so. <laughs> I love it. That's what we love, man. We love, you know, the people that support us. I'm glad she rocking the beanie so y'all can see that tonight. It's mad love out here. You know what I mean? Um, John Lemley hit us with a super chat. Five out super chat. He said, uh, I need to sleep tonight, but I'll catch the replay later. Appreciate you, John. Appreciate you. Definitely appreciate you. Um, for anybody that is not aware, description box has all the merch, things you can purchase. And Sonny Johnson's uh, link to her, her Twitter account. But uh, let's get right into this thing, right? So this is very personal, right? Like, so I, now it's like, you always bring me on serious radio. You brought Doe on serious radio. Unk. You know Fire what I mean? conversation, but, man. Huh? Fire conversation. I, oh, can't, yeah. I can't stand to have mediocre conversations. If I find myself in a mediocre conversation... I exit real quick. So it's when I find people that can bring me fresh content that can make me think, make me change my perspective. Those are the people that I like to rock with. I don't like to be the smartest person in the room. I like to surround myself with brilliant minds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same here. So I think where I want to start is since you're like an OG, right, in conservatism, and uh, there's a lot of new people here, right? And you never had a walk away moment, right? Like a lot of these people had a walk away moment. So I want you to walk us through, you know, I understand you are conservative, but how you got into politics, because a lot of people, are, you know, it seems like the barrier for entry is really low now to get into politics. You figure, you know, especially if you're black, you get a MAGA hat, tweet a couple of things. And, you know, now you're just in the game. So it's really, really simple. Um, No, what happened was I was young and I had my daughter. I was with my husband and my daughter was starting to go to school. And my husband was like, OK, so what are you going to do now that, you know what I'm saying? Now your daughter, you know, is going to school. And I was like, well, I want to write like it was it was something that had happened when I had first had my daughter, I had went through a little bout of depression and I had went home to Richmond 
And one of my cousins, she looked at me and she said, you got death on your face. Is it murder or suicide? Uh -oh. I was like, what? you know what I'm saying? I never thought about it or even considered that it was like literally something wrong with me. And she was like, if anything you could do with your life, what would you do with your life? And I said, I would write. And she was like, well, you can't make no money writing. And I was like, yo, but I can write. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, yeah. you doubt my skill right now. And I find that rather insulting. So I came home and I was like, look, I'm going to write a blog. So I said, this is what I want to have my blog about. I want to write about problems I see in the black community, solutions I think that could fix them. Um, I want to write about our culture. I want to write about our faith and I want to write about our history. So those were kind of the areas that I chose. And that became the basis of my platform. Those are my four pillars. So they, what blog was that? Huh? What blog was that? That was your own blog at the time? Yes. That was, okay. did she say that? That's when I first uh, created Did She Say That? Okay. And it was based on God. It was based on history. It was based on culture. And it was based on community. So everything had to fit into those four pillars. Notice no conservative, no progressive, no Democrat, no Republican. It wasn't any of that. It was. Say it, say it one more time. One it, more time. God. No Democrat, no Republican. At the time, I didn't even know what the definition of progressive was. Right. So what are the know, four pillars again? What are the four pillars again? They are faith, faith, history, culture, and community, which includes your uh. So oh. those four pillars. And it's, it's very important that you remember those four pillars because those are the pillars that change history in America. So if you look at every time that there is a huge shift in American culture, it's a shift that happens in all four pillars. So whether it's indoctrination where they start changing your history or they start changing the definition of what it means to be faithful or a faithful follower of Christ or if they or any religion, matter of fact. But um, what it means when they start changing these areas, when they start tinkering with them, then you understand that they're in the midst of changing the very essence of who and what you are as a people. Mm, mm. Who's trying to change it? Whoever, whoever. And this is what I'm saying. If you look back throughout history, like I'll give you like one specific time and everybody likes to talk about black people after the Civil War. But let's talk about white people after the Civil War, especially white people in the South. So you had this population that were completely demoralized. So even if you look at the people in the South who were against slavery, the majority of them were against slavery because they couldn't get jobs. It was all of this free labor that was preventing them from being able to work and to prosper in the areas that they were in. So it wasn't so much that they cared to free black people. It was that they wanted a chance at the economics of what was going on and what was being benefited from the, um, from the slave trade. So when the South loses, now the white people lose their four pillars. So they believed that slavery was sanctioned by God. Now that pillar is gone. They've had a community structure that has said that they stand superior to black people and that's the way that it should be. That's gone. They have historical records and statues and famous houses of all the great white generals and that's gone. 
So every, you know, and every single aspect of what they had culturally wise, how they carried themselves, how they acted as all of it was gone after the Civil War. So you had a very, very, very demoralized white population throughout the South. So when they came back in, Democrats got power. They realized that they had to rebuild that psyche of the of white people in the South. They had to strengthen it. They had to bring it back because it was in a decimated state. So they went to the churches and the, and the pastor from the pulpit started to preach about how we should forgive the Confederate soldiers, how we should understand our plight, how we should be forgiven to them and understanding to them. They started to rewrite histories with people like the daughters of the Confederacy and starting to put up statues that highlighted these generals instead of showing them to be traitors to the United States government. But, you know, so they started going through all of the different uh, pillars. They started culture. So they started having parades and reenactments of the Civil War. All of those things were to rebuild a population that had been decimated after the Civil War. So any group of people, any population of people, this goes to human nature, any group of people, if you mess with their culture, if you mess with their faith, if you mess with their history, and if you mess with their community, you can reset the mentality of the entire population. And it has been shown to happen throughout history in United States of America. Mm. So I want to walk through these pillars really fast because, uh, you know, when I wrote my marketing book, I had some pillars in there as well. So I think they're vital. What does faith mean to you when you know when you say does that mean God, Christianity? What does that mean? Faith means personal. To okay. Me. It, it's it's your individual you. So for me, it's Christianity. I love Jesus Christ. He, uh, you know, through him, I am made righteous and complete. So I love Jesus Christ, but that's personal to me. Okay. I, I'm not a preacher. You know what I'm saying? I am a sinner that is going to sin again. Do not look to me for your redemption or your salvation. I am not here for that. But I will fall on my knees and pray for redemption and salvation. I will share with you my testimony of how God found me broken and weak and rebuilt me into somebody that could go in front of large crowds and speak my truth, unashamed, unafraid. I can do all of that. But when the personal comes in, when God needs to teach me a lesson about me, it's not necessarily for y'all. Sometimes it's just for me to understand and make myself a better person so that when I present myself to you guys, I am the best version of myself. And I take that very, very seriously. And this is one thing people do not do. They are not self-reflective. Like mm. be able to admit to yourself that you lost. Be able to admit to yourself that um, it's more work that you can do. Be able to admit that stuff to yourself because it's going to make you become better. It's going to make you push yourself to be better. And you should always want to be the best version of yourself. And like I said, with me personally, I'm the best version of myself with Jesus Christ at the center of it all. Oh, yeah. Damn, you spitting that fire. Um, let's go to culture, right? What is, what does culture mean to you? Cause culture is where I like to spend a lot of my time. And I love to spend my time there as well. Um, culture means this, the norm, the normality of traditions that you withhold and what you deem and value. Okay. So I claim hip hop culture. I'm not going to run away from it because it has bad elements. I'm not going to forsake it because 
I can look at it and see that it has blemishes and flaws. I was raised by hip hop culture. I didn't necessarily have the best role models as parents or as people structurally around me. But I first started to actually think things through from listening to lyrics, from everything Jay-Z to Jada Kiss to Nas, Tupac coming up. Like those people started making me think about concepts. You know what I'm saying? So it stopped mm -hmm. being to me just something like for real, I stopped listening to Bop tunes and you know, the dance, you know, and now I'm a hardcore lyricist. You have to be a lyricist. You have to spit bars. And I think like the only exception I give is to like Drake and maybe some of the young ones, like I like the baby and you know what I'm saying? He just, yeah. you can't, you can't deny that man is probably you, just you can't. like you want to buy. So yeah. like, I have to I have to admit that, but I do know that there was a core group of people within culture that made me start to look at things differently. And especially when I first started to look at politics in general, it was during the Bush tax cuts. Now, if everybody goes back to that time period, that's when all of the rappers first started getting their own brands. So this was when you started seeing um, everybody come out with their own clothing label. They started buying alcohol. They started opening restaurants. That Bush money had everything flowing from them tax cuts. And money that's fluid, you know, goes to where it is appreciated. And you saw a lot of people in the black community appreciating that money. And when they were getting that money, the lyrics that were coming through in the song were not only ownership, meaning I own my own label, or I'm moving into real estate, or I'm diversifying my portfolio, which if you go back during that time period, that's a lot of um, what it was. It was also a basics of, I'm not gonna do things the same way that I used to do things. I'm gonna start to switch up the way I maneuver and switch up the way I move. And that's when I started saying, listen, the culture is ready. Like the culture is decided to make this switch. They don't know its name. They don't know its definition. They don't know its principles. They don't know why. They don't know all of that. They know it's right. They know it works. They know that they have burnt, been burnt enough times by progressivism to understand that that is a failed philosophy. And if they want to work and prosper in America, they have to follow a capitalistic system based in conservative principles and qualities. And that's why I stick to culture as far as being a central point in my message. And plus, I love it. It's a basis of who I am. You know, you don't get this version of Sonny Johnson without the culture. And that's not just the music. You know, like it's the TV shows, it's the movies, it's the dancing, it's the graffiti, it's all of it. It's the spoken word, it's the deaf comedy jam. It's mm -hmm. every single aspect of what we would um, we would deem hip hop culture. And it's made me, you know, it's made me a big, it's a big part of what made me who I am. Word, word. Uh, I just blasted that out to Instagram real quick. I put that on my story, so I rarely use Instagram, but I'm trying to. You know, I got a lot of people that follow me there for some reason. But so the other one is history, right? Now, that's that's my passion. That's what I love. I love to study history. I'm always reading some history book about something. What is what does history mean to you? Right. Like, why did you choose that to be one of your pillars? Did you see something wrong? Did you see something? OK, uh, see, I'm going to be truthful here. I didn't know shit. <laughs> okay. I, honestly, I didn't know shit. So. I um I had started a blog a talk radio show like back in the day when I had first started. 
I remember. And Black History Month was rolling around. So I'm like, I do one show a week. Uh, so it's four weeks in February, four shows that's take black history in America and break it up into four parts and do one part each week for a month. And I'm going to do it without white people. Mm, okay. All right. So like, this was my whole thing. I'm going to do black history month without white people. Okay. What does that mean? Meaning no is not going to be what white people did to us. It's not going to be white people subjugated us. White people did this. This person is a good person because this white person did this. No, it was just black people doing what the fuck black people do and succeeding at it. I like That's that. what I'm going to do. So I go and I start researching and I start putting things together and I go back to the old, you know, just the old habits you're taught in the indoctrination camps they call public schools. So you, you pick a person and you go, this person was born on this date and they died on this day and they created this and they're famous for this. And they're, you know, so I was like, that's kind of what I did. I went into that, to that mode. So after the month was over. I was like, what the hell happened? Like something is missing in this shit that don't make sense because we were doing it here. We were doing it here. We were doing it. Then all of a sudden that shit just dipped off. What <laughs> the hell happened? And like none of the excuses that I was presenting Excuse with was painting me a picture of what the hell happened. So one day I was watching, actually, this is so funny. I was watching a founding father's episode of Glenn Beck. Okay. And Glenn Beck starts to talk about Woodrow Wilson. Okay. Now remember, I didn't learn black history without white people. Right. So he starts talking about Woodrow Wilson. And he starts talking about the racism of Woodrow Wilson. And he starts talking about the progressive nature of Woodrow Wilson. And I'm sitting there like, wait the fuck, hold up a minute. This, this, this is what I have been missing. This okay. point right here. You can't learn American history by separating it white and black. Oh. You cannot do it because right. we interact with each other. We clash with each other. Our ideologies meld together and they you know, negate and push away from each other. So right. trying to learn American history, either just from a white perspective or just from a black perspective is ineffective. So okay. I went and I started studying Woodrow Wilson and I'm like, motherfucker, like this is, this is the moment where everything starts to change. What happened? So Woodrow Wilson, in order to get into office, he started to woo the blacks in the North. So I'm going to refer to them as the black intellectuals. Some might call them the bulls or, you know what I'm saying? They got all them kind of classifications for them. me. Okay. I'm going to call them the black intellectuals because mostly they were highly educated, educated, ivory league thinkers, you know, college. The black, the black boule is what we would call them up here in Harlem. Right. <laughs> so he went and he started to woo them and okay. They were so enamored with him. And you have to kind of go back and understand what was going on. So after the Civil War, 
about 1890s, this nasty little strain start popping up in the Republican Party. And it was called Lily White Republicanism. The Republican Party of the day was trying to rule the white racist Southern people over to their side. And they had a coalition called the um, Blacks and Tans. So that was their mixed coalition that gave them the diversity that made the Republican Party in the first fucking place. But I digress. So they said, we want these people to come over. So in order for us to get them, we're going to have to start pushing black people out because if we don't, then the Democrats are going to be like, they're just nigga lovers. They're just, you know what I'm saying? They're just this, they're just that. And they're going to use it against us. And it's going to make us hard for us to get this vote that we covet. We don't have to worry about the black vote because the Democrats are the KKK. So we can treat the blacks a little unfairly, but the blacks are never going to run to the KKK. So we can get away with this if, you know what I'm saying, if we play. Yeah. So they started to push black people out. Okay. And the reason I wanted to make sure that's brought up is I don't blame the black intellectuals at that time for thinking this way. So if you look at the Democrats and their KKK, outright racist, hate you segregationist and then you look at the republicans and they're lily white telling you you don't have a place in the party that you helped to create the party that you fought a war with you're no longer welcome there i can't blame the people of that time for being like you know what fuck you and fuck you mm. i need another system i need something else that's different that works for me i can't blame them for that Right. So at the time, the, remember, these are the intellectuals. These are the holy toadies. These are the people with money. Mm -hmm. So they were traveling to Europe and in Europe, Marxism was spreading. So they were going to places like Italy and they were going to places like Russia. They were going to places like France. They were going to places like Germany and they would go to these places and they would be treated like rock stars mm. because it was trying to be sold by the communist regime that not only was communism a better system than capitalism, it also provided racial equality. It can make the idea of racism extinct. So okay. that's what they sold to black Americans when they went to Europe. Mm. So when black Americans came back and they started to identify with that Marxist ideology, where did they find the ideology itself? They found it with Democrats and progressivism. It wasn't a matter of race. It wasn't a matter of color. It wasn't a matter of diversity. It was a matter of them saying, I like Marxism and this dude likes Marxism. So we can go with this dude and we're going to get Marxism. Even if he doesn't know it, in the end, Marxism is going to bring us to a racial equality where we're going to get rid of this capitalist system that has both Democrats and Republicans being racist towards us. So I don't want, you can't blame them for the situation at the time. Cause honestly, what would you have done? Like if you had Democrats being racist on one side, Republicans being racist on the other side, what, what the hell would you have done? Yeah. So yeah. you can't really blame them for that. Right. But they chose Marxism. Marxism was their answer. So they looked and they saw Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson is the, father of American progressivism. 
progressivism is just Americans' version of Marxism. Okay? Right. So this is the father of progressivism in America. Every single one of these Democrats that are telling you that they want a progressive future, understand the father of their ideology is progressive Woodrow Wilson. Okay. Right. Get more to that. But they, um, they, they supported Woodrow Wilson. It's like, we're going to get behind him. We're going to champion him. And he is going to be our generation's Abraham Lincoln. Like they really believe this. Now the black people in the South was like, y'all motherfuckers is crazy. You know, no, no, no. And they still were rejecting Democrats, but it was the blacks in the North that was like, yo, they got this ideology. We're going to get to a point where it's going to, you know, destroy racism and we're going to be cool in this country, but we just going to have to roll with this dude. So Woodrow Wilson gets elected. Hmm. Comes president. Mm. One of the first things he does when he gets into office is resegregates the U.S. military. So, mind you, it was desegregated after the Civil War, or at least integrated to the point that blacks were actually allowed to join it. So, <laughs> this is one of the first things he does when he gets in is he dis resegregates the military. Wow! Right? Okay. So, and then um, he also segregates government basically by firing all of the black people that worked in the government except like two or three janitors that were allowed to keep their position and like this is crazy shit then he goes and at this point the kkk is not a big organization uh after the civil war the republicans sent the army down and they wiped out a big bulk of the KKK. So where, while there were pockets that still stayed, they not, there weren't a big organization that could actually move public opinion. Until, of course, progressive Democrat Woodrow Wilson decided it would be great to have the very first movie night in the White House, and he brought in Rebirth of a Nation, the white supremacy indoctrination film, and he played it in the White House. Stop playing. No. <laughs> so basically he came out and he said, we need to go to a segregationist system because segregation will benefit both black and white. This is the president of the United States of America, Democrat progressive Woodrow Wilson, the father of progressivism. And don't you forget it. All right. So he goes and he does all of this stuff and the black elites come to him, the black, and they come to him and they're like, wait a minute, dude, hold up. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what we signed up for. This is not what we, this is not what we were supposed to do. What's going on? And Woodrow Wilson basically looked at them and said, if the Negro made a mistake in voting for me, then he ought to correct it. <laughs> that was his response. And under the tenure of his administration, segregation spread like wildfire across the south and to many places in the north so when you look at like what fdr would be able to do with the new deal coming up after this it was only possible by the segregation that was put into place by progressive democrat woodrow wilson before him 
Oh my God. I right, I right, hold up. You just hit me with the hammer and shit. <laughs> y'all, y'all hope y'all paying attention, man. Sunny, Sunny dropping gems on y'all, yo. The black um, elites lost. This is like this is the point that needs to really be remembered. They they lost. They they went, they put their chips on the table, they took a gamble, and it bit them in their ass. So this was their first loss. Right. but it won't be their last loss all right hold but, up all right before we get to the next loss hold on right all right so you previously said that the uh republicans wanted to push black people out do you remember some things that they did to push these black people out or to discourage them or it was all done through committee systems because back then they had a, um a system of um of uh i can't think of the word like Tammany Hall in New York, patronage system. Okay. So they had a patronage system. And basically the way the patronage system was set up is that you had people at the top and they kind of ran everything and they kind of put people into positions as a, well, basically the same way it works now and why certain people can't get into certain organizations to do certain things. That same patronage system is still in place today because the people at the top organized the system down and put people in the seats where they want them to sit. And the people that they don't want to be in those seats don't ever make it to those seats. Not much has changed. Yo, what the fuck? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to blow my mind and you fucking my head up tonight. Nothing, nothing has changed. That's why I said the best way to defeat what is going on today is to know history and understand how we got to this point in the first place. Oh, my God. All right. So. I'm still stuck on this Woodrow Wilson time period, right? All right. So a lot of people say that the political party switched. My response is they didn't switch. They switched. They they uh, switched tactics. What, Not what yet. You, what's that? Not yet. Not they yet. Switched, yeah. They, at this point, they haven't switched tactics yet. At this point, the only thing that they switched was ideology. So at this, like, so before that, you had the Democrats who were considered conservative, right? And you had okay. the Republicans who were considered the radicals. So this is the point where that started to change as far as the adjective in front of it started to change as opposed to the parties themselves. It just started to switch from being conservative to being progressive. And then you have the Republicans kind of going the other way from being radicals to being more conservative. Interesting. So what's the difference between a conservative and a radical at that time period, I guess? The radicals wanted to enter slavery. That was nothing about conserving the way that America had been maintained and upheld. They oh. were a radical just reshaping of how our constitution was being bastardized. So mm. that to them made them very, very radical. And of course they did a couple, they did some radical things after the civil war as well. Like they were the first ones to introduce a welfare system and that being the radical Republicans, a welfare system directly targeted towards black people with the Freedmen's Bureau. So what they did was they created this, kind of slush fund and they sent blacks throughout the South and they were like, okay, we're going to offer you free food. We're going to offer you free housing. We're going to offer you free schools. You know, so we're going to give you healthcare. We're going to start to take care of you. We only asked one thing, just one small little teeny thing in return for that. Don't go and kill your former slave masters. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Sonny. Hold on. Wait, Sonny. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait a few seconds. 
because your camera glitching and they they tend to do this when we get in into some um some good content they they tend to send the uh the 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 tech geeks down to kind of slow us up go ahead and try to test it again let me see if i can hear you okay can you hear me all right let's do it yes pick up where you left off uh okay so what was that all right so uh, so you had this time period um they, they're the ones who sent the Freeman Bureau down. And it was like, basically, the only thing that we asked you to do is not to go after your former slave masters and kill them. So, like, this is the entire story of how you get a Booker T. Washington. Because the Freeman, the Freeman's Bureau came to Booker T. Washington and was like, look, we have this money. We want you to go to Tuskegee. We want you to start this school. We're going to give you land. Everything's going to be great. And Booker T. Washington was like, sure, I'll do it. He goes to Tuskegee. There's no land. There's no money. There's no students. There's no anything. So it just, you know, goes to show you, again, socialism, Marxism, that kind of whole ideology being introduced in a different way. And the underlying purpose always being true that you eventually run out of other people's money. And that's exactly what happened. When the United States government ran out of money, they stopped the Freedmen's Bureau and all the promises they made to black people were broken. And that's not even talking about reparations. Oh, uh, and that was the Republicans? Yep. Wow. Wow. So the Republicans are out here acting like liberals in the beginning, mm -hmm. acting like socialists. Yep. All right. So we got to go back. We got to go back some more in history. What's to deal with you said black people were involved in the creation of the Republican Party? Yes. Free black men in Texas were some of the first originators of the idea of removing the wigs and bringing in and creating a new party. So while it's officially said that it was started in Wisconsin, there were people all across the country kind of in pockets voting to establish a Republican party. So it wasn't just one group of people in one room. It was a conglomerate of people. They just used that one room as an example. And a lot of those rooms within the South, there were a lot of black people in those rooms. Mm. The abolitionist of the day. Right, right. Okay. Interesting. So there's a lot of free blacks in the South, contrary to what um, people say. There were a whole conglomerate of free blacks that were self-sufficient, that yes, they had to deal with the racism of the day, but they also had guns and knew how to navigate what was going on in that area at the time. And you had a lot of those people even that were loyalists to the Confederate because they felt like they could protect and defend themselves. So F the entire fight. You know, they didn't even have to worry about the fight at all because if you came and messed with them, you was gonna catch a hurting. So you had a lot of different makeups throughout the South. There wasn't just like, oh, every black person in the South was a slave. That wasn't the case because there were some wealthy black slave owners who bought more than just their families. You know what I'm saying? And it was a diversity across the South. And as the migration started to happen, you would see that same diversity spread across the country. Mm. So then how did the blacks come to land in Congress? Because I know I've seen some pictures of black. They public... were appointed. Go and check. Okay, so after the Civil War, after the Civil War, the Republican Bar Party basically stripped all of the Democrats of their rights. 
to vote. Uh. So they weren't allowed to vote. And basically they was like, hey, how about you go and be congressman of this place? Or we go hold an election and there's only X amount of people that are allowed to vote in that election. So of course you're going to be elected. So basically it was election by political power at the executive branch. And anyone who calls themselves a conservative should be against that. So it wasn't a fair election in any case, because the largest part of the population wasn't even allowed to vote. And a lot of the positions were assigned by executive order or from people in the uh, in the federal government instead of being elected by we the people. Kind of like a electoral college? No. Okay. Or like, hey, let's put a black person in his seat because we can't. Ah, uh, so just the people in a position of power basically made the rules up as they saw fit. Yep, and put people in power. And like, so this is why you, if you like go back, my, my compass during this time period, because he's such an extraordinary man, is Booker T. So if you go back like during this time period, that's when you'll have Booker T uh, just talking really bad about politics. So you know that quote that everybody uses uh, from Booker where they go, um, there's a class of Negro that doesn't want the problems of the black man to be solved because they get paid from it. Because Okay, think about it when Booker T. Washington said that quote. Mm. There were no black Democrats because the Democratic Party was full of the KKK. Right. There were only black Republicans. The black Republicans that he was talking about were the blacks that went and ran for political office so they really didn't have to do any work. The blacks that went and became pastors of church so they never really had to do any work. You know, like those were the people that he was talking about when he said their quote, there were no black Democrats. So people try to use it now in the context of American history now, but that, that loses the entire context of what he was trying to say. What he was trying to say that there was a strand of black people within the Republican party that will keep the ills of the black people in front of the public. Now there are two ways to do that. People think that the only way you can keep the ills of a community in front of the public is by talking about them all the time. Yeah. No, the second way is by ignoring that there are actual ills in the community. If you ignore the fact that the ills exist and the ills will continue to exist, therefore they will always be in the forefront of any conversation. So mm. there are two very, very distinct ways to make sure problems stay relevant. And not only can you talk about them and use race baiting and use kind of identity politics, but you can also ignore them and pretend that they don't exist at all, which actually keeps them there and keeps them festering and metastasizing. Uh, all right. So I got another question. Uh, why would they elect black Republicans? What was the uh, motive or incentive or like, like what, because you would think that the majority they of the population, as far as the South, were, was black. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah over 50 percent. So if you take out the, the majority that could no longer vote because they fought with the Confederacy, then oh, what's the biggest population in the South? The black people. Yeah, the black people. And yeah. this is like prior to the Great Migration when everybody started to really spill out. So a large, the, the largest concentration of black people 
in America was in the South at that time. And it only made sense to give them representation, I guess, that looked like them. And mind you, during this time period, nobody pretended they were colorblind. Nobody pulled that bullshit where they didn't look at you and say that they acknowledge that you're black and you have to fake and pretend you don't know that they're white. Everybody was very crystal clear. We could see with our own eyes that our melanin count is a little bit different. And they operated from that point. And like it wouldn't be until after the Woodrow Wilson era that you would start getting any sort of colorblind conversations. Uh, uh, damn, Sonny. Damn. Okay. So when we, when we, you know, sometimes today you'll, you'll have, uh, you know, black conservatives say, look, we got this picture of black Republicans and, you know, da 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 back in the day, you know, part of the first team. And, look, and you notice how it goes up in, I think, about 1882 or something like that. Okay. All of them gone. Right. Everybody's gone. Right. You won't get another black senator until you get Tim Scott, who is currently in right now. Right. Okay. So basically, well, when wait, they, I might be wrong about that because I think we might have had um, what's his name might have been a senator, a black Republican senator. Okay. Can't think his name at the moment. I might be wrong about that one. Right. Right. It's all good. We fact no, check. I'm pretty sure Tim Scott, because Tim Scott on his first run, he didn't even get elected to his office. He got placed into his office, and then he had to run again to be elected. And I think that that made him the first Republican in the Senate. Ah, uh, first Black Republican in the modern times. Okay. So when we look at these so-called Black Republicans, really we're looking at uh. Shines, we're looking at bootleggers, we're looking at just people just propped up and put in place, or are these leaders good black leaders? What are they? <laughs> they they put their black people, let me put it this way: certain black people have certain experiences. Everybody, every black person is not raised the way that I was raised. So some black people were born into upper middle class. They were born rich. They grew up in white society their entire life. They're very, very, very comfortable in that surroundings. Those people will be comfortable in Republican and conservative circles. Mm. Mm. The people who grew up around majority black people their entire life, learned our mannerisms, learned how we treat each other, how we respect each other, because everything, we move a little bit differently. Um, no, they're not going to be comfortable in, in those spaces. It's going to be highly, highly uncomfortable in those spaces, unless, of course, you desire something from them that makes you want to, you know, act out of character and maybe out of your soul's natural orbit yeah okay. yeah all right so let's that was let's, my nice way of saying yeah you were right <laughs> i tried i can be politically correct sometimes i can work it out you did that better than i could <laughs> so let's fast forward history let's go to the so-called party switch is it true the party switch is it wrong is it more nuanced? Very much, much, much more nuanced. Okay. Much so, more nuanced. So, so walk us through that. So you come from Woodrow Wilson and the black intellectuals have their first defeat, right? So they get their ass kicked. Woodrow Wilson turns out to not be what they expect them to be. Okay. So they haven't given up on the ideology. 
They haven't given up on Marxism. They just decide that he was a bad Marxist. Okay. Now, understand, too, at this time, Marxism hadn't shown itself. Like the death count hadn't started to pile up yet. Right. The true after effects of Marxism had not like truly presented itself. So they were still working off of theory, theory. And, you know, theory and basis and stuff. So along comes FDR and it's Marxism all over again. So if you look at FDR's coalition, FDR had a coalition of Democrats, Republicans and black intellectuals. It was a whole nice, pretty party of people who wanted more government interference with the American economy and American life overall. So they all got together. They all voted for FDR. FDR comes in. He passes uh, the New Deal. Black people get screwed again. So you got to think about it in terms of we, and especially black people in the South, we're fresh off the plantation. So you're talking like one generation, starting the second generation, fresh off the freaking plantation. Right. By then, to schools like Tuskegee were graduating more self-made millionaires than Harvard, Princeton, and Yale combined. Uh. Okay, because if you went to this school, Booker T. Washington demanded that you had a trade. You have to have a trade. So you were able to use your trade to feed your family and take care of yourself. So if you wanted to go and become a lawyer or become a judge or become any of those careers that will cost you 12 years for you staying in college, first have a trade. And then that trade will sustain you while you're going through those years of education. But he also got people to start thinking and understanding that like there, there's going to be no movement in our community, the black community, until we find that there is as much dignity in tilling a field as it is in writing a poem and understanding that manual labor is just as relevant, necessary, and mandatory as the intellectual thinkers of the day. So he started to move them into kind of that philosophy of thinking. And that pushed them, a lot of people, to become self-sufficient, to become um, economically independent, and to actually become self-made millionaires, entrepreneurs, business owners. This is why you start to get the birth of Black Wall Streets all across the South, because this ideology of the individual, of conservatism, of capitalism, of making yourself such a commodity to your community that they would be stupid not to understand your own br brilliance. And like that was put across by things like the Carver Project with with the potatoes and all the vegetables and how they could be diversified and changed to so many products that could be used capitalistically, as well as Booker T being able to come up with a recipe to create red bricks. Those bricks are what they actually used to build Tuskegee Institute and the rest that they had over, they sold them for profit. Mm -hmm. So they started to turn those simple, basic concepts of we can do for ourselves, we can create for ourselves, we can become for ourselves, and we're going to do it in such a great fucking fashion that nobody is going to be um, be able to deny how brilliant we are, how wonderful we are, and how much of a commodity we are for this country. So boom, that's what you have. So now you have this whole generation of people, and you know they make it out like we never 
how does Black Wall Street get built if you never? You know yeah. how? And it's not just one Black Wall Street in Tulsa. They're spread all throughout the South. I was born in one in Richmond, Virginia. You know what I'm saying? Jacksonville area Chicago. Virginia was a Black Wall Street. So it was more than one freaking Black Wall Street. And we built it because we had no choice. You know, you didn't want us in your stores. You didn't want us in the restaurants. You didn't want us in your schools. You didn't want us in your church. You didn't want us. Well, fuck you. We'll build it ourselves. And we did. We built entire cities that represented us. The, um, the architecture was us. The financing was us. The materials were us. Every freaking step along the way, there was a black person ready to fill the need of that community building itself. Uh. That's how we got to Black Wall Street. Uh. Along comes, and mind you, one of the reasons that they don't that they don't talk about the other black wall streets they only talk about tulsa is because of the racial aspect of it where they can say that tulsa was burned down now ask them why the other black wall streets faded because <laughs> it wasn't racial tension it wasn't a racial riot it wasn't any of that ask them why the other black wall streets started to decline and fall down because the white man's ice started getting colder Nope. Okay. It. Okay. So the black intellectuals again went for FDR, voted for FDR. FDR brings in the New Deal. Part of the New Deal triples the taxes. All right. Now, if you have legacy money, if you have that oil bearing money, if you have that steel money, that old money, and them taxes get raised like that, you can sustain it. What happens if you a newly self-made millionaire and you get hit with triple taxation? Wow. 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 So now you're looking at a completely different scenario. Okay, so that's all good, right? Uh-huh. You you raised our taxes, fuck it. We we entrepreneurs, we did this before. We'll make it again. So what do they do? They start regulating, especially when it comes to things like agriculture. So you cannot, you can't grow this. You can only grow this. You can only sell this at this price. Too much of this has been grown, so you can no longer plant it, making farming nearly impossible, causing thousands of black people across the South to lose their land, lose their farms because of this process of FDR. Uh, and um, in the northern states, you would start, you would see it start to really take effect in the idea of redlining. You don't hear a lot about redlining affecting southern states when people are talking about the effects of redlining the majority of the effects uh, of the places that they are talking about are either up north or in the west because it wasn't really something that faced a problem in the south because we had our own communities we were you couldn't redistrict us somewhere else because we owned every fucking thing <laughs> so but in places in the north where that wasn't the case it was a they were able to kind of redline districts and kind of push residents into places where you could rent or the property level for all uh, were so low you could afford you know what i'm saying so yeah. that would that gave them the ability to start pushing um peak populations into small centers even then you would build a community up they would push them into this community you would build a community up along comes fdr and says you know what your community is not good enough let me tear it down and build another one for you uh, okay cool 
So they go in, they tear it down and say, oops, we ran out of money, so we can't build another one. But what we're going to do is we're going to run a highway through here that's going to connect the people from the suburbs to the city. So now those jobs that you had access to by being in this area close to the city, you no longer have access to. But those people in the suburbs that are not in those red line districts, now they have easy access to drive in to take those jobs. Oh, uh, wow. God damn. Not only that, now they're going to give these people more power through <coughs> the Wagner Act and unionization. So they make it even more profitable, even more beneficial for you to come in and get these jobs because they're on their protected jobs. Now there's a minimum wage. You know, now, now there are things in place that makes it very, very attractive for people to come in from the suburbs to the city and take these jobs or people from the city to work in the city, but take their money, their income and move out to the suburbs and spend it out there. So <coughs> you come down with an economic crunch from all sides where your money is being drawn out by taxation. You are not able to rebuild and replenish that money because you're faced with regulation. And at the same time, you're being pushed by your local government into an area where you're not allowed to access capital or credit. And the property values have deteriorated so low that it makes no sense for you to even want to own there. It becomes premises where all people only rent or what will become government housing down the line. Mm. All right, so Sam, I want you to take a break. <laughs> I know you coughing and we need your voice for a little bit longer. Uh, take a second to drink. I just going to cover some of these super chats and tell a quick story. Um, so I was in Akron this week and, um, the guy I was with, uh, basically told me that in Akron, uh, you can definitely tell at some point the, uh, black community was pushed, uh, to one side of town because Akron at the time was known for its rubber making. All the tire companies were out there, like BF Goodrich and Goodyear and all these people, Michelin, etc. And he said it was back in the day when these factories were functioning, you could actually smell the rubber on the black side of town. It was all pushed that side. So when Sonny's talking about here, you know, I just heard about this week. So let me get in some of the super chats. Shaka Shakur, what up, homie? He says, Culture Wars, absolutely. Reaction PR says, great live stream. Just followed her on Twitter. Appreciate you. JP Hives, $20 super chat. Thank you. The true story of history is a study of drives, motives, intentions, results, and consequences. JS999, he says, Woke Water still 2,500. Hey, it's me. How you been? What's up, homie? Long time no see. Chad, 199 super chat. Salute to Sonny. Shout out to Chad. That's the homie. You already know. Uh, Mark Newell. $2. Thank you. Reaction PR 199. Glitch agency has entered the chat glitch. <laughs> you already know. JP Hobbs, $22. He said the Republican Party started as a response of the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, which authorized legal slavery in the western part of the U.S. So anyone respond to that? And the abolitionists started the party? Like, what part am I supposed to argue with? <laughs> there you go. Blacks and well, $5. I love Sunny J. Great show, Hotep Jesus. Uh, thank you. Drew Sample. Drew Sample. What's up, Drew? Shout out to the Hotep. Sunny, thanks for coming on. Uh, Chad Lemoyne, 199. says, Sunny supporting Hotep Nation. Nick Cap, you already know. Drew Sample, 199. Sunny, sorry, uh, sorry, I spelled your name wrong. And Mary, 
up for uh Maul of the year, ten dollar super chat. Thanks for doing this, Hotep and Sunny. Just started following Sunny Sharp and Smart. Yeah, man, she's she's blowing my mind right now, man. She's taking me somewhere else. All right, so where we left off. Okay, so you basically have F FDR and the New Deal. And the New Deal, the New Deal kills Black Wall Street. Kills Black Wall Street. It's, this is Man. this this is where the destruction happens. This is also the first time a Democrat nearly wins the majority of the black vote. With so, how do you get the black vote? Marxism. Oh, okay. So right. basically, at this point, you have to understand in the North, blacks are free to vote. You know, they can vote unrestricted. There's not really the racism isn't veering his head in the North yet. So they're pretty much able to vote. And in the South, black people are being killed for trying to vote. They're getting poll taxes put on them. They're getting learning taxes put on them. like everything possible for them to restrict them from accessing their right to vote is happening throughout the South. So a large part of the Southern black vote was suppressed by the uh, oppression of Democrats uh, control and power at that time. And so mm -hmm. the large bulk of what was presented as the black vote during that time basically came from the North who had kind of adopted the ideology of Marxism. Oh yeah, see you're piecing this stuff all together in my head now, okay. That totally makes sense. And then this is the time that the uh, that the black intellectuals realize they've been screwed twice. So they trusted Woodrow Wilson; he screwed them. They trusted FDR; FDR screws them. So now they're like, you know what? No, we're not going to do this anymore. We need power, and we need a large swash of it. Us in the North is not enough anymore. We need the entire black population if we're going to do this. If we're going to make Democrats bow to us, if we're going to break this, if we're going to get our seat at the table of this Marxism, we need more black people. So this is when, and during this time period, everybody talks about the great migration, about how blacks left the South and started going north and going west and a lot of blacks went west uh so if that is an interesting part of history if you start to watch kind of the actions of some of the blacks that went west anyway okay. um, we're gonna come back to that anyway so um <clears throat> what they don't talk about when they talk about the migration from the south coming up north is the north going down south the civil rights era was started by the black intellectuals in the North. They wanted the blacks in the South to become a part of their coalition. You know, so it's kind of hard to make that happen when the Democrats are lynching. Right. <laughs> Democrats are segregating the schools. George Wallace is a Democrat. Segregation here, segregation now, segregation forever. So right. it's kind of hard to get the blacks in the South to buy in to supporting the ideology that is now present in the Democratic Party. So they're like, we have to crack the South. So they start to send their operatives to the South and push the idea of civil rights, using the court system, using the legal system, 
protesting, boycotts, all progressive kind of ideas about how you shape a system. They start pushing all of those things down south. And what time period is this? This is uh, uh, after the Civil War. I mean, after okay. the New Deal. After, after the New Deal. War, okay. After World War II, kind of in that time period. And this is when you get that really, really big push of civil rights throughout uh, throughout the South. Coming um, with the uh, MLK and all of that. Yeah, it culminated in that, but it, right. it start, yeah, it starts. It kind of starts before that, right? But if you look at this period, why don't Dems claim this period as the switch part period? Because this is the point where most blacks actually start supporting the Democratic Party. When most blacks actually start uh, supporting Democrats after this point, really Eisenhower. Republican Eisenhower, who was a Marxist as far as his ideology pertained, he was not a conservative Republican in that sense. He was very much in that Marxist ideology. He would be the only one to garner as much of the black vote as had previously happened after FDR. So you can look at the FDR time period as the time period where the switch happened. That's if you look at the switch, and this is always the trick question. When you say the switch happened, who are you talking about? Are you talking about when the white people switched back or when the black people switched to Democrat? Because both of those switches happen and it doesn't mean they have to happen simultaneously or you know what I'm saying? Or con concurrent with each other because they don't. The first switch happens when the black Americans start going to the Democratic Party, not the other way around. So that's coming up during this time period from Woodrow Wilson when they got their ass kicked the first time into FDR when they got their ass kicked the second time. So basically, if you look at the civil rights movement, what it was was a Democratic Party civil war. You had black elites who wanted their seat in the Democratic Party because they wanted to be next to Marxism. They wanted that ideology of progressivism, but they knew they had to fight the current occupants of that party. So that's what they did. So if you look at the civil rights era, where the hell are the Republicans? I, I can't remember them in that history. Where the hell are the Republicans? Remember now, the Republicans go from the party of Lincoln to the party of Reagan. So while we're talking about all of this, where the hell are the Republicans? I have no idea. There was no massive Republican uprising in the South to protect civil rights of black Americans. That shit didn't happen. The reason that the civil rights movement got active, got financed and got motivated was because black elites and intellectuals from the North financed it, put their education to it, put their time into it and put their energy into it. So if you look at it like that, this was actually black people fighting a civil war within the democratic party and they won so mm. they got their ass kicked the first time they got their ass kicked the second, the second time, time. second the third time they said we're gonna go and we're gonna get the blacks out the south they go they push civil rights civil rights passes they got the blacks in the south then what happened Oh, now all of a sudden the Democratic Party becomes the party of civil rights now all of a sudden the Democratic Party becomes the party of black Black people 
earn their damn spot in a Democratic Party. You don't have to like that they're there. You know, you could have wished, I wish like hell, black people had never bought into the ideology. I wish like hell they have fought against it and stood fast against it. I wish like hell all of that had happened, but it didn't happen. What did happen is the black elites fought a civil war within the Democratic Party and they won. They won their seat in the Democratic Party. They won their representation in the Democratic Party. They won their voice in the Democratic Party. Republican Party, you have not had your civil war yet. Oh my God, hold on, Sonny, hold on. You hit me with with too much, hold up. All right, so technically what I'm hearing is there is no party switch, there is a people switch. Yep. An ideological switch. There is not a party switch. There's an ideological switch. Now in the 60s, that's where you get the tactic switch. You get, you know what I'm saying? The tactic switch hadn't happened yet. That's why they were fighting. That's why you had this battle going on. That tactic switch hadn't happened yet. In the 60s is where you get that tactic switch. So they were telling us like uh, they were passing gun laws to stop blacks from being able to defend themselves. Who Democrats? Yeah, and yeah, they were passing gun laws to be able to stop black people from the very first federal legislation gun law was passed by FDR, Democrat Progressive FDR, at the federal level. So they were trying to disarm us, and they changed that messaging from disarming us to. um, If we can even save one life, if we can save one life, we need to pass gun control. They switched the messaging. So before Planned Parenthood was eugenics, they weren't scared to be called eugenicists. They were proud of it. It was something they wore with a badge of honor. Now, all of a sudden, it's a woman's choice. It's a woman's body. They changed the way that it was uh, it was being displayed. Um, and, and it just goes down the line. Even if you look at the unions at the time, back in the day, it was two different unions. It was AFL and it was the CIO. The AFL was the white group that had all the power under the Wagner Act. Once uh, the Supreme Court struck down the power and the power of the Wagner Act was cut, the enrollment rates of the AFL started to drop. Now, all of a sudden, the AFL is like, hey, if we really want the power that we deserve, we got to make friends with these people. Let's join up with the CIO, which is basically a very mixed union of black steel workers, railroad railroad workers and the like. And now you mix it together. Go look at the AFL-CIO patch. It is literally a black hand and a white hand claps together, showing the integration that they made in the 60s when they started changing their message. Every single thing about it, message-wise, they started to switch from the old system they had put in place that had wasn't ashamed of racism, wasn't afraid to flaunt it and now they just changed all of the arguments into something new and more palatable including going after our education system and starting um the department of education where they now control total indoctrination and history and how it's taught so everything that they did before and prior to that time they are now the stewards of as they present history to america's youth uh uh god damn shit Yo, so I'm writing a book I'm releasing next year, and I got to tell you right now, you're in it, right? Because I'm going to have to use this as uh, study materials 
Um, I'm glad we had this talk. It would have been a whole piece I would have missed out of my book. Um, got a couple of super chats I'm going to read and then we're going to get back into this. Uh, Jeffrey Charles says, Black Putin wants more of these convos, please. <laughs> <laughs> Chad Lemoyne, 499. It, it always starts and ends with the intellectuals, the salespeople for Marxism. Somebody has to convince people losing freedom and agency is good for them. Yep. Chad Lemoyne, 199. Uh, do we have to kiss Sonny's ring now? Boss level. Yes, we do. Oh, my God. The flex is incredible. I just like having fire conversations. That's all. Oh, man. All right. So FDR's New Deal. After FDR's New Deal comes LBJ. Yeah. Go ahead. Hold on now. Go ahead. Go take a drink. No. Okay. So so first you get the party switch. Okay. The party ideological switch. switch in the 60s. And it's kind of really important that you understand what like kind of what was going on in that time period, because you will understand how how different black America was like, not in a sense of we're different than now than when we were then. I'm talking about how diverse we were. We were like all over the place as far as what we believed and the ideology that we ascribe to. So there was no echo chamber. There was no echo chamber. Okay. So basically you have four groups of people, you know what I'm saying? Um, you had black Christians that followed the MLK type. So when MLK was assassinated, then they started following the John Lewis's and you know, that whole people that sustained the civil rights era. Then you had, of course, the uh, people who were kind of Muslim of Muslim persuasion and they were following Malcolm X and, you know, they went on and they started following Farrakhan and those likes. Then you had the more radical elements that were really, really hardcore Marxists. So if you go and you read, you know, some of the early Panther stuff and their 10 point plan and how they put it together, it's all based on a, on a basically system of Marxism. They fiddle with it a little bit, but it's basically the tenets of it. So now you have the Christians going with MLK. You got the Muslims, you know, going with Malcolm X. You got the radicals going with Huey Newton. And um, then there's this other group. They don't, want to talk about race. They don't give a fuck about race. They don't care to be in this conversation. They don't, they want to work. They want to send their kids to school. They want to pay for their house. They want to be conservatives. They just want to live free, independent lives in America and just be good with that. They had no representative because Republicans weren't like, yeah, let's actually build some shit with the black community. So that's when you got people like Jackie Robinson that was coming out like Republican Party. What the hell is wrong with you? Like, why are you ignoring us? Why are you treating us? You are turning into the very thing you said you would never be or never um, materialize into. So that fourth group, that conservative group of black America was left unrepresented. And I think to this day, we are still as far as mainstream politics are concerned we are still unrepresented like you want to put walter williams in there you want to put time no because we never bought into them we never ascribed to them we were never a part of that so you could do it as a white person liking that aspect of history but what i am telling you is after the after the 64 period 
which actually 67 was a more consequential year if you looked at everything that was formed in that year from black liberation theology to like so much happened in 67 as opposed to 64 um as far as black organization was concerned that that became the time period where black conservatives were left in the dust and you really don't hear too much from us after the fact what what's this disconnect with thomas Sowell and walter williams is it their doing our doing is it just they kind of that they they weren't writing for us i don't i don't think in my opinion it, they weren't writing for us and this is kind of one of the things that i've learned being with conservatives and republicans for so long you have to choose an audience you can't i cannot write something and think that i can successfully write it where it will target black people and white conservatives it is impossible to do it because we are at such a wide disparity at how we're looking at things how we view things how we see history how we relate to each other it is just at a such a wide point that i realized very very often i would have to decide which audience i was talking to at the time so i would have to know my audience before i put my content out because i would have to phrase it depending on who my audience was. And that's why I never talk about Thomas Sowell. I never talk about Walter Williams. I never talk about any of those people because as soon as you do, then white conservatives get happy. Like, oh my God, we have something in common. Yay, cotton candy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got it, you got it completely twisted. And me and you are about to have a bad conversation because you're going to say some stupid shit. And when I you know, bite your head off for being stupid, you're going to be mad at me and I'm going to be racist and I'm going to be, you know, all those things. Yeah. I don't have time for that conversation. I'm really tired of it, actually. So, but yeah. What does that conversation look like? What, like, uh, when they... Uh, you know exactly what that conversation is. <laughs> Are you trying to say there's no place in conservatism for, quote unquote, black people like us? I'm at Breitbart, so I will say that that's <laughs> I'm at I'm here, and it's not going to be many other places that would put someone like me in a place to actually speak and be a voice and a representative, and I I don't see that on the right. So I, it looks like we got a uh, like the Democrats fought. The black Democrats fought yeah, to get in the spot, and the Democrats it hasn't, had, it hasn't had a civil war. It hasn't had. It stand up moment where we really face off with the party about what it stands for. And it's really hard to even say that you want to have that moment because at least the Democrats were kind of agreeing upon Marxism. Like the elites of the Republican Party can't even agree on liberty, freedom, and freaking capitalism. So, how the hell are we supposed to like try to fight you for the, um, clarity of our principle when you don't even hold those damn principles yourself. Right. So, um, I look at the Republican Party and it is steep in black history. You know what I'm saying? So if you go back and you study the great blacks in America, you will find the bulk and majority of them have been black Republicans. It's no, it's hands down without question that that is the case. Um, especially barring just the, like the last say 30, 40 years. But 
that is only represented in the idea of the individual, meaning those individual blacks succeeded. They did the great things. They did the work. It wasn't based on them being a part of a political party. They believed in the ideology itself, the principles itself. And you had a lot of people that would stand on that, even if they didn't like the overall apparatus of the party. And it took me about six years to really see it clearly and understand what was wrong with it and why was it beneficial for black people right now. All right. So I want to know what conservatism is, right? Because there's a, a huge confusion uh, of what conservative. I see people all, all the time argue and say, oh, you know, uh, you don't have to be this to be a conservative. You don't have to be that to be a conservative. And then, you know, now we have, quote unquote, grifters who are, uh, you know, moving the over 10 window, et cetera, et cetera. So can you tell me, educate me on, you know, how? What is conservatism and then what are these values that we're supposed to stick by? Okay, so first and foremost, I would say is the idea of the individual. It comes down to the basics of everything. You are the first government. You are government of yourself. You are government of your surroundings. You are government of your emotions, how you react. You individual, you are first and you are to be protected. Your okay. rights are, be, are to be protected. They are be, to be defended. Um, Everybody else has their rights, but their rights must stop at your nose. And that's where that's basically what it is, that underlying principle and idea that the individual matters. And if you can give a person the individual motivation to do something great with their lives, the individual shows up. So it's not the government that shows up. It's not the school system that shows up. It's not the, the individual shows up. They put their talent to use. They succeed. And that individual person needs to be um, protected first and foremost at all costs and especially from government. So that's like the first tenet of it. Is just so Does that mean that, you know, I identify as female today. I go above the, I, I come before the group. What do you mean? Oh, no, that's see that. See, this was all when rational people were just rational. You know, like that shit is irrational. And when you want to start bringing intersectionality and that shit into a conversation where two rational people should be able to say, hey, left, right. Let's just stick with that. And then motherfucker like, no, East and West. We ain't, that's not what we were talking about. We said left or right. Let's stay on the conversation. So it wasn't really... It was never put into that spectrum where that was part of the conversation because we just operated off of logic. Okay. All right. So then what's the next principle of conservatism? Um, after you had the idea of the individual, you have the idea of the family. So the family is the second unit. Uh-oh. It's always the, your, your first unit is yourself and it has to be primary. Then the second unit is your family. So you, um, your first responsibility outside of your idea of the individual is to not to cause any other strife to the group. So you are to make sure that you are in a position to take care of yourself, your family, your household in both economic and defensive terms and spiritual warfare terms and education terms. Remember your four pillars, those things you are responsible for with inside of your family and you have to maintain them. You have to, um, it is your responsibility to do so. And you should be fighting the government anytime the government tries to 
put its hand in what is happening in your first line of government, which is your house, your family, that, that unit that you are responsible for. That deserves to be conserved above all things else. That idea of a basic uh, family unit. Okay. Then after you have the individual and you have the family, then you have the community. So okay. once you start building out from that, now what does your community need? How can you be a steward? How can you uh, activate in philanthropy? How can you give back the knowledge that you've learned? How can you spread around the resources, be it economically or um, tangibly in some other way? How do you do that and be a good steward within your community and conserve the things that make your community what it is, the historic, the history of it, the architecture of it, the parks in it, the history, you know, all of those things that make your community the place you want to raise your kids, the place you desire to raise your kids. And that's where a lot of black people miss out on that connection with conservatism because we're not put in those areas where that community clicks where it connects because you're not owning it. You're not running it. You're not managing it. You don't have assets in it. So it doesn't hold the same amount of weight as say the other areas of your person or your family unit that you can actually control. And I think that that's where we have a big separation as far as conservatism and what it stands for. Then the second, then the last part would be the government apparatus of it, which means local government closest to the people having the most power over people, period. You are not supposed to be looking at your federal government to solve problems for you. If there is a problem at your local level, then you should be looking at your mayor. You should be looking at your city council. These are the people that you can actually go to. You can actually talk to. You can actually get access to in a very viable way that makes actual change palatable on the ground. And that has to be the area where we start to focus. But now when we have a, a, a situation where that idea of politics on the ground is under one party rule and doesn't have competition of ideas or diversity of ideas, then that starts to break down. So now you have two layers of the conservative chain broken in the black community, that community aspect of it and the political aspect of it that rules over the community. So those two links are kind of broken. The biggest problem with, I would say, conservatism and breaking those ranks is conservatives love the first part, the idea of the individual. They yeah. don't tell you that all day. They love the first part. They love the second part. My family, my this, I wish you would. love the When it gets to that community part, that's where the problem gets in. That's where it, all of a sudden it's like, no, I'm I'm an individual. They go back to the first part. I only care about me and my family. They go back to the second part. And I'm like, well, what? That's there are other steps in conservatism. It just can't be you and your family. And that's where they're stuck at. Whereas you and your family. So now you got you and your family. Say you got a big family. All in all, that's twelve of y'all. Your community is made up of twenty thousand people. Some somebody's going to lose in this equation. Yeah. You're 12 voting against these 20,000 because all you care about is what's happening in these spaces. Then you're going to fucking lose. 
Yeah. You're going to continue to lose because the people in your community, you refuse to connect with them because you're so stuck on being an individual in the first stage, family in the second stage. You never let yourself get to the third. And if mm. you never let yourself get to the third, then you cannot understand the fourth and how government, even at the local level, affects every single aspect of the levels that fall down. So that means they start to affect your community where you can be redlined, where you can be regulated, where you can be taxed, where they can buy a majority of the land in the city and just sit on it and just let it sit there and fester. Don't sell it. Don't um, build it up. Don't use it for any reason. Just let it sit there and just turn the communities into trash while the city owns that very property. If you're not going to be fighting against things like that, then they're going to say, okay, now, now what can we do in your house? And if you look at this now, well, take the Green New Deal. They're basically going to tell you, you have to tear down your whole damn house and rebuild it to our specifications. And it's not going to be a law that's just going to come from the federal level. Once they pass it at the federal level, it's going to sink down to every single level of government afterwards if you don't stop it. And that's why you see a lot of people in Virginia now all of a sudden wanting to talk about gun laws. We had an election where you should have came out and voted for gun law, against gun laws. You should have been active. You should have been organizing, but they don't. They wait until after the shit is done. And then they want to stand up and complain and say what they're not going to do. And then use the power of their local government to pass laws, basically like sanctuary cities for guns. They understand the power of the Republic. They understand the power of local government. They know how to use that shit when it's beneficial for them and it's necessary for them to get to the achievement that they want to. But let me talk about it in conversation and related to the black community that all of a sudden you lose your fucking mind about what the hell a Republic is and how it operates. So that that's the idea is that they can't, they, they love the first step and the second step and they want to stay there. And when you have someone that comes along and says, okay, so how do we take our conservatism and brand it as part of the third step, the solution, the fixing, the, um, the remaking, the renaissance? What the fuck would I talk to you about that for? I don't know. I'm black, black people slaves. That's what the conversation becomes because they have no connection to the community. They have no idea about the conflicts between the community and the localized government and why that conflict exists, the history of it, the real true um, effects of it financially de detrimentally to uh, the black psyche, the black education system, the black um, economic system. And just how we look at and see and treat each other as well became a large um like detrimental part of all of this playing in black communities by uh community organizing and social uh configurations that these federal government people like to do especially mm -hmm. those who claim to be progressives y'all really need to understand what that word progressive mean what the hell do you think they're progressing you towards <laughs> oh, like at, at some point a progressive has to give you a, a destination. Ask a progressive what the fuck is their destination. Most of them are not going to tell you. And the reason they're not going to tell you is they don't intend you to be there when it actually happens. Woo. 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 That's a good, that's a good moment to get into these super chats. 
Somebody says, Sonny speaking at HotepCon. This is fire. Yes, we will have Sonny at HotepCon. Rain, he sleep, hell, snow. She will be there. Carmelia, Hotep Jesus, thanks for bringing Sonny on. Maybe this could be the regular. Sonny, thanks for dropping the history wisdom. Uh, do you have a recommended reading list? We'll get into that. Uh, Black Mountain Hotep, $5. Super chat. Sonny Johnson, you're hitting all the right buttons. Yes. Uh, Daniel Coke, how can we help people like Dinesh D'Souza get the right the messaging right on this? <laughs> No, actually, I have a funny one about that. Okay. So, uh, I had I had Dinesh on my show uh, a couple years ago, and it was kind of a lot along the uh, exact strain of the conversation we had today about uh, kind of the Woodrow Wilson era. Because if you if you kind of look at how Dinesh does history, he does exactly what everybody is taught to do skip from the party of Lincoln to the party of Reagan, not questioning what happens in the middle. So that's why when people would ask Dinesh about why did the party switch sides or uh, why did black start to go for FDR? Um, he'll say, he said, and he literally said this shit. He was like, um, I don't know. I guess they just wanted the free shit. But and the free shit part is the part I'm supposed to be offended by. You know the part that I was offended by? What? The part you said, I don't know. Like, mm. if you don't fucking know, why the fuck are you speaking on it? Why mm. are you inserting what you think is an opinion if you don't fucking know the answer? So you can legitimately out front say, I don't know, but I'm guessing it was. That's not a historian. No damn historian worth his grain of salt will say, I don't know, but I guess, as far as giving a history recitation or trying to um, instruct students about the history of, of their country. If you're, if I don't know falls into your lexicon, you shouldn't be doing it. Oh, damn. Talk about ether. Hey, you got hit with that ether right there. Cheryl Hawes, 2499. Thank you. Uh, great dialogue. Yeah, this is some excellent shit happening here. All right, so we're present day now. We're talking about conservatism. Uh, I'm starting to see you, you're making these parallels in my mind from the past to now. Uh, a lot of similarities here. Um, if, if history, if you don't learn history, it repeats or rhymes. Yeah, you're doing the repeated. So what's happening today with conservatism uh, in your eyes that's pulling us away from those, I guess, four steps of conservatism? Uh, I, know, I don't like if you look, if you think about black people, black people. OK, we are pulling towards conservatism. OK, so we are pulling back towards having faith like take the whole Kanye revolution thing. All right. So we're pushing back towards having faith. We're pushing back towards learning our, our real history, true history, actually understanding how things happen. And I will make sure, make damn well sure we push as hard as we can in that specific um, category. But we are pushing back towards being a two person two person household family, mother and father raising the kids. We're moving back towards those things. And that's why you have this big push for everything black related to try to numb us and take us back and, and to push us back and to make us step back and think that the old way was the best way for us. But 
a lot of us who went through the old way, grew up in progressivism, had all of the traps put in our way and had to maneuver our way through all of this. We're not fucking going backwards. There's no way in hell we're going to go backwards. You're not going to convince us that a two parent household is not the best thing. You're not going to convince me that I'm supposed to choose feminism and fucking girl power over having an actual husband that has my back and goes through life living it with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not going to get me to buy into this shit because I went through enough in my youth to understand the value of what I have now. And so they, they're making a push for our next generation to not follow us. And that's why when I found you, when I found Doe, when I found Green King, like when I found you guys, I was like, oh, hell no, we can follow them. Like we can, like we can put this together and it does not have to be conservatism being left out in the cold again, or not having a representative again, or not having a voice again, a voice that actually connects with the culture. This is one of the things that when, um, after the, the first loss that the Democrats took against Woodrow Wilson, they didn't just say, okay, we lost. They did actually put a plan in motion. They said, we need a renaissance. We need to start changing it, how we look at this ideology, how we put this ideology out. So they said, we have the ideology, which is Marxism. That's our intellect. Now we need to have the culture. So let's have a renaissance, a Harlem renaissance. So now they take the intellect, Marxism, they put it in the music. They put it in the short stories. They put it in the plays. They put it in the poems. They put it in the newspaper. And you get this meld of culture and intellect coming at you at one time and you don't even know that it's happening. You don't even see that it's happening. And people are like, it couldn't happen that way today. So I don't understand. Oh, the fuck, yes, it could happen. And it has happened. I want everybody to go back and think about Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay. Okay. So Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is basically your renaissance renewal for you to, to, to go back and understand your roots and, and, and choose correctly okay. about which path you want to take, right? So you have the single mother who has her son living in the inner city. He has to leave the single mother and go and move into the two-parent household run by Uncle Phil in Bel Air. So now you have a two-parent household run by Republicans. Uncle Phil was an outright Republican. They mentioned his party on the show. Okay. Uh, uh, two parties, a two parent household run by a Republican. Uh. Now you have Will. Will stands in opposition to everything that they are. Right. They are devoid of the culture. They have no um, idea of black, you know, idiosyncrasies they don't they don't share our cultural buzz and stuff so he is the pushback of everything that they are and then you have carlton and carlton is the white republican you know no culture wears the vest does the stupid dance and he is a member of the young republicans so there's your stereotype which one are you then you have ashley 
who was looking at her older brother and looking at Will and trying to decide who she wants to be. Right. And she attaches to Will. Right. So now she wants to drop out of private school. She wants to go to public school. She wants to do, you know what I'm saying? And it's all about you looking at these two people. Who are you? Which black person will say I'm Carlton? Now, we all want the money aspect of what Carlton looks, the, the intellectual aspect of how Carlton moves. The kind of is is things about Carlton that we love. Yeah. So give us a choice about who we are, who are we gonna pick? Will every damn time. Right. And this becomes your refresher course as to why, even if you see some things in Carlton that you love, why you would stick with Will and why you wouldn't look at a Republican in that light, because you could always remember that you have Will as an option over here. And it, it is just a big microcosm put into cultural terms of lessons that they want to reinforce to you over and over and over again. And so like, that's what you have at the end. Uh, Carlton goes off to school, successful Republican, Democrat, Will still struggling, still can't figure out what he want to do, how he want to move, couldn't get married, lost. The stereotype sets itself for you. And I, I can go through so many TV shows like that. Like if you look at the game, on WB, you know the football game, right? Yeah. So look at the game. That show was put out by Kelsey Grammer. If you don't know, Kelsey Grammer is a Republican or conservative. He's the same guy that put out Girlfriends. Girlfriends, hugely popular thing with girlfriends. Okay. Look at the characters of Girlfriends. They're all based off of a conservative kind of model set of what it means to be women, except for Joan. Okay. So all of the other ones, and, and um, in some aspects, even when you look at the crazy one, I think her name was Lynn. It was the idea of the individual, the free spirit, the mover, the the you know the person who understands and goes with their circumstances or whatever. But if you look at the game, the game was a prototype of four different conservative black men. Mm. So you have the high roller, the young rookie, the high roller who believes in God, is trying to stick to his path, wants to get married, wants to do things the right way, falls short. You have the other one who is money-centric, hungry, capitalist, pinches every penny. You know what I'm saying? Making sure. Then you have the grinder who, uh, who goes out, who makes things happen, who puts deals here and tries to make entrepreneurial moves here. Each one of them was a representation of a black conservative man. There were no progressive black men amongst the cast of the game until Kelsey stopped directing it. Once Kelsey stopped directing it and it went to BT, BT started directing it. All of a sudden the men became drug addicts. The men became, uh, started to lose their money and their financial burdens. Um, what's his face married the black girl only to divorce her and go back to his white wife. Like, Every single thing made conservative in the game by Kelsey Grammer. Once BET Progressive got their hand on it, they switched it and changed it all. Every single aspect of what it was like to look at a, uh, at a strong, black, successful man and mm. see something more than just the stereotype. They reduced them right back to the stereotype. Damn. So every single these things in culture where you think they don't have an agenda, 
they damn sure have an agenda when they are putting these things together and how they look at it. And that, with the aspect of the game, is coming from a Republican, conservative, white male pushing an agenda. So if you think that the white progressives aren't pushing that damn agenda, you've lost your mind. Wow. Damn. Now I got to go back and watch the first Prince of Bel-Air again. Yeah. You go. And like you will see the honest uh, attempts to make connections between the Carltons and the Wills. So like if you go back to uh, the episode when they were rushing in college and they were making fun of Carlton, they was like, Will, we accept you. You can come right in. And they was like clowning Carlton. They never intended to let him come in. They just made fun of him and picked on him. And then Uncle Phil comes in and he's like, why, why, do we, why would we treat each other like this? Why would we, knowing everything that we've been through, why would we put ourselves in a position to treat each other like this and to go through this? So it was a lot of really not just bad social justice stuff put in there. They put really good stuff in there as well. Like, um, so that's kind of one aspect of it as well. It's not all bad. If it was all bad, we wouldn't buy into it. Yeah. So, I feel like so they have to just layer it in just to enough for, um, for you to look at it and to kind of like, I never knew that color purple was a feminist movie. Like it's my, it's been my favorite movie. Like since I was 12, I never knew it was a fucking feminist movie. I never, I never looked at it. Like every fucking man in color purple is a bastard. Yes. Every single one of them. Now, yeah. Like the only one that gets slightly any kind of credence is like Buster Brown, the one that brought Sophia to the job. But like every other male is like a bastard character. And yeah. I like I didn't I've never looked at it in that lens until I got old enough to start saying, okay, these people have an agenda. This is how they want us to look at black men. They want us to look at black men like they're violent, like they are, they're abusive, like they, they, they want to hurt us, they want to break us, they want to, to demean us in any way, shape, form they can possibly. And look at this whole generation of feminists that grew up on that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. In hindsight, I remember thinking about the Color Purple movie and I'm like, it wasn't much good in that movie. It's almost like a horror film. Until you get to the end and you get right. to the part where it's like you overcome and life doesn't come at you the way that you want it, but you make it to the end. So to me, that was always the point of what made it my favorite movie is that, okay, all of this shit happened to her, but she made it to the end. So that was what made the movie great to me. But I never looked at it like, okay, the reason her life was so fucked up is because black men suck. I never viewed it like that was what they were trying to push across and, and, and kind of put out there even more so than any other message that was trying to be um, delivered. Right, right. Uh, we're going to slot into some super chats real quick. Uh, Cheryl Hall's 24.99 Great Dialogue. Thank you, uh, Cameron Erlin. Love this chat. Uh, following Booker T's teaching mastering my trade in illustration y'all make me want to open up a, a hotel animation studio and be the propaganda arm of black culture thanks for the motivation yeah we need that we need that t west glad i tuned in tonight gonna rewatch this and do research this weekend yeah i got a lot of research man to do i thought um 
I thought I had my points of uh, research and Sonny came and just fucked my whole shit up. <laughs> God, man. Look, like this is, and as far as like, I know you was going to get to the reading list and stuff, but this is my challenge. Okay. My challenge is, especially if you live in a black community, go find your black historical society. Okay. Go every community. If you have a, a big bulk of black people in your community, there is more than likely a black historical society in your community. That black historical society is going to be filled with the names that I guess you would say history forgot. And these are going to be the people that actually did the work. These are the people that are, will never be given credit for because they weren't marching. They weren't protesting. They weren't like they weren't made into civil rights icons and that that kind of bullshit. No, they were architects. They were mothers that opened um, that opened um uh, orphanages for the kids to come in who had no parents. They They were just regular black people that became champions in their neighborhoods. And they are the people that history forgot because we let them be forgotten. So if you go to, especially if you live in a black community, go find your black historical society and learn about the people who walk the same damn streets that you walk right now in a situation that was, I can promise you, 20, 30 times worse than the one you are facing right now and learn how they walk with their head high, learn how they built in the face. White supremacy never beat us in this fucking country. People need to understand that. When white supremacy showed itself, we said, okay, we'll build. We built our own shit. Every single time it showed itself, we became the people who said, you don't have to do it for us. We can do it for ourselves. We lost in this country to progressivism. We never lost to white supremacy. So if we can reverse engineer what we have lost through progressivism, I am, I would put my entire career on the fact that we would not be talking about white supremacy after we have uprooted progressivism from our communities. I agree. I agree. Cause that's what I tell people all the time. You know, I study communism and socialism and, you know, the Russian revolution currently. And I always tell people, I'm like, ain't no such thing as white supremacy. It's called communism. <laughs> it's called socialism. It's called progressivism. <laughs> and, and then if you actually look at it and think about what they deem as white supremacy or what they deem as systemic racism, these are things you fucking vote for. So like, how the fuck is it white supremacy if your black ass is voting for it? So like, you you cannot keep calling it that if you then want to go and vote for it. And this is the the funniest way you can um tell this, especially coming from a black progressive, right? So a black progressive will tell you about white supremacy. They will be white supremacy this, white supremacy that, right? As soon as they tell you about white supremacy, change the subject to say gun control, right? What is your solution for gun control? The first thing out their fucking mouth would be to pass a law. Now, you just told me the system is systemic. 
You just told me it's racism to its core. So why the hell would you let that system write another law that is going to affect your black ass? You just literally told me that that was a bad, you just told me that this was a problem. So how in the hell now are you going to tell me that giving my gun to that system of white supremacy is somehow going to benefit me how the hell can that be your answer then they'll be like we'll work with our local um uh attorney generals and wait 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 your answer again after we've had this whole discussion about white supremacy is that you're gonna go pass the law and then you're gonna work with white supremacy to make sure it doesn't affect me in a white supremacist way is that what you're freaking telling me and their answer is yes, because they can't have a solution that doesn't involve government. If you can't have a solution that doesn't involve government, but you're telling me that government is systemically racist, then what the hell are you telling me? I love white supremacy. <laughs> How do you tell me, especially look at, think about this and, and, and take in context to what we learned about the new deal, right? So if you look at Black America now, we're kind of coming into a renaissance, right? So you kind of see in Black America rebuild itself, become a little bit economically independent. We got people flossing, we got people investing, we got people doing shit. It's, it's, it's starting to look really lovely if you're looking at it behind the scenes, right? So what is their idea? The moment we fucking start building for ourselves. Now, mind you, when Democrats had us under their thumb on welfare, these ideas wasn't so plentiful. Now, all of a sudden, when we start acquiring wealth and we start building ourselves up, we start asking questions about why shit ain't working the way it's supposed to be working in these areas that we're paying taxes in. When we start getting a little fucking uppity, now you have what a new deal coming, a new green deal coming. And they, what are they going to do? They're going to triple taxes. Really? Uh -huh. Did that happen before? Oh. They, they're going to regulate. They're going to tell you what you can build, what you can't build, how much of it you can build. All of this because we're trying to save the planet. So they're going to regulate who can and cannot be successful doing um, with bills like the New Green Deal. Damn. And in the end, all of the power is going to fall back to the local level to decide where those funds will be accessed, where they'll be put, who will get the benefits of them. And you think they're going into any of them areas where those districts have been redlined in the past? Mm, mm, mm. They're gonna so if you think this is something new, it's just because you haven't learned history. This is their same old blueprint they did last time when we were wealthy, when we were building, when we were healthy, when we were just growing into the fabric of America on our own accord, this is how they crushed us. Now, as we're starting to do it again, they want to do the same damn shit again. No, we, we can't let it happen again. We can't be silent about it. We can't, we cannot let this time go without stopping this ideology in its track. And in order for us to do it, we have to go through the conservatives and the white Republicans because we need to have our own little civil war 
and actually bring a united front to face a democratic machine that has had control for 60 years nonstop without breakage in a lot of these communities. Okay, so is because before I've said, you know, in the past, you know, conservatism has no place for black people. So is that your premise of why you think that conservatism needs to if you look at the, the brand itself of conservatism, um, I guess you could say that, but okay. conservatism, not the, branded at the people. The ideology. Those are ours. They can't be given to us. They can't be taken from us. Those are ours. We took those same principles and made it off of, uh, on plantations. We took those same principles and made it up in the North. We took those same principles and made it in the West. We took those same principles and some of us took our asses back to Africa. All we, those principles belong to us. They were not given to us. Even you can say that through human nature, we absorb them into ourselves, but they're still fucking ours because that is what we choose to conserve. That is what we choose to make sure matters the most to us and the forefront of everything that we do. And that's what I said. I think you're seeing a lot more people who kind of brought into progressivism, but even this. The, the older black people that brought into progressivism, they never lived their fucking lives like progressives. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a good. That's example. so true. This is my aunt. So my aunt, uh, we were having a conversation when I at first uh, came out like as a conservative. And she she was like upset and she wants to know and she wants to ask questions and do all of this and do all of that. And I told her, I said, I'm only what you made me. Like, I don't understand what your problem is with this. All I am is what you made me. You told me go out and work hard. You told me build a strong family and stick with it. It won't going to be easy. It was going to be times where you're going to, you built this shit in me. You built this shit in me to have a pride about myself that I don't go around begging other motherfuckers for shit. You gave me this. You built me into this person. Now that I am this person and I act on what you gave me, you have a problem with it. And then she goes, well, this generation is different. This Your, your generation is different than my generation. I said, the only reason that my generation is different from your generation is because your generation thinks we need welfare. That's what the fucking difference is. If you treated our generation like you yourself was raised, then you wouldn't see this breach between us. You wouldn't see this chasm between us. You wouldn't be looking at my generation wondering where the hell we went wrong. If we went wrong, you led us there. You raised us there. And then when those among us that actually did the right shit stand up, you want to criticize us for it? No, you can kiss every inch of my ass. And I told her, I said, I respect my elders. And I will always respect you. I love you to death. But if this is the conversation that you want to have, then you're going to have a grown ass adult conservative having this conversation with you. Not your niece. Not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Change the spectrum of how we're having this conversation. So we don't have those conversations. Uh, that's so real. I find that with family members too. I'm glad you said that. You just touched me right there. Cause that's how I was raised. You know what I mean? You, I was raised as a conservative without the term conservative. Yep. And then now I'm a conservative 
and people are like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? This is, this has been me. I was raised like this. You're so right. Because it has, when you look at conservatism from the democratic side. So if like, if you look at how we did it from the Republican side and we started at the individual and then we went to uh, the family unit and then we went to the community. Then we went to the Republic, the political structure over the family. The Democrats start at the political structure over the family. I mean, over the community. They don't even bother with step one, two and three. They just start off at, at the big overall group aspect of everything. So it's easy to brand people from that perspective when you don't have to add any other nuance, when you don't have to talk about the, uh, the individual. If you can sell people on the group, then you don't have to address their individual need. You don't have to address their individual concern. You don't have to address their individual heartbreak. You don't have to address anything about them individually if you can get them to buy into the group. And that's what you have from Democrats. Democrats want you to buy into the group at the top and just stick there. Republicans are starting to do that shit too. Like they won't even start at the bottom now. Now, like, are you a chumper? And like, they they want you at the top group, like stuck like a motherfucker, not caring about the three layers at the bottom. So, it, you know, everything is becoming a lot more murkier as far as the political parties are concerned. Yeah. But idea of conservatism, the principles that go along with that, the structure of you being self-reflective, understanding your personal individual self, understanding your role in your family, understanding your role in your community, and not being afraid to be an active participant in your community. That's going to be the only way you're going to control that that spectrum of government that rules over your community. And that's where so many Black people are detached. So like when I went to Apollo, um, I had to, I, you know, I'm in Apollo, progressivism. This is Harlem fucking New York. This is the birthplace of black progressivism. And I'm in Harlem and I'm like, y'all want to know the secret? Cause y'all like, um, they're always like, you're with the white people. What is the secret? What is the secret? Here's the fucking secret. They pay attention to their local government. That's the fucking secret. Their, their school system isn't going to fail because they know who the fuck is on their school board. Name one person on your fucking school board. Like they, they are not going to be regulated out of having the ability to park on their street because they're going to show up and vote the motherfucker trying to push that ordinance out. You don't show up. So they push an ordinance on your block to say you can't park there. Now you're bitching, moaning and crying when you had the opportunity to stop that beforehand. And so you can look at all these little regulations and all these things that we as black people look at and say, that shows you that America is racist because they wouldn't do that here. They wouldn't do that there. They're over there. They're conservatives. They wouldn't do that because they don't buy that stupid ass shit. You could have that in your city too, but I stop buying that stupid ass shit, but you choose not to. So if you want the reduction of say interaction between police and citizenship, the best way you're going to get that reduction is by a reduction of laws, because then you stop giving police the reason to fuck with people. Right. Stop having those interactions. And then you can actually have a community that gets along with their peaceful uh, with their police forces that are constantly fighting. Right. Right. All right. So we're going to talk about the Civil War conservatism because that's hot right now. Right. Like, you know, I'm part of that a little bit sometimes. Uh, we've seen. uh Nick Fuentes versus TPUSA, Groypers versus TPUSA, Charlie Kirk versus uh, Nick Fuentes. Walk us through 
the TPUSA uh, version of conservatism versus some of the other conservatism. And, and if you can walk us through what this civil war looks like and how it should be fought, who's going to win, et cetera, et cetera, and how it's won. Okay. So first it's not about a single organization. And I, and I'm not saying that I'm saying it because of time, because I have, I have had the longevity of time to make this statement and to be very true about it. Um, it's not, it, it, it is the donor class. So it's no specific group. It is the people who decide to take the money that they have and is their money is their right. I can, I'm not saying anything about that, but they take the money that they have and they create props and positions for people to play. So like when I first started, I got a chance to go at a conservative organization and start a project with this organization. So the first thing that came to me was, okay, we want you to do a college tour. And I was like, okay, cool. I like college kids. Let's, let's do this. We can do this. The name of the college tour is like progressive racism, how Democrats are the real racist. Ain't no way in hell. I am doing that tour. You have lost your damn mind. I will do a tour about black empowerment, black entrepreneurship, black conservative and messaging and how to do that. I will do that tour, but I'm not doing no fucking tour running around America talking about Democrats are the real racist. I would like to say that nobody else would do such a tour because, you know, they had pride about themselves, but I would be wrong in that sense. So, the next thing comes in where, okay, so I'm not going to do a tour. So they're like, okay, we want you to do events, right? So we want you to go around. We're going to stage these events. You'll have these events. We're going to take all of these pictures. We'll have this, this, and, and we're going to be set. We can paint the picture with hell fucking no you have done nothing to deserve these people coming to show up for you before you go and try to start having events won't you actually start building relationships with some of the people in these damn areas before you ask them to come out and give support or give credence to your name why don't you first prove that you are worthy of such things you talk about so, the black community yeah if you're gonna go and you want me to do Outreach. Events in the black. Before I do that, I'm gonna go in relationship build. I'm gonna go and meet people. I'm gonna go and introduce myself. I'm gonna go and humble myself. I'm gonna go and ask to be invited into your shit, not just put up an event thirty days before and hope everything works out and then bust people in if it doesn't. I'm not gonna do that. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I have enough integrity about myself to say no from the get-go when something like that is presented to me because uh. it's stupid as shit. So it came down to, I'm not going to do the college tour. I'm not going to be holding photo op events in black neighborhoods. I'm not going to fucking do it. So I said, we have to start a conversation. So this conversation has to start and it has to be a real honest dialogue. So before we do any of this shit, let me start a website. I can take the website. I can take ideas from the Carlton Banks of the right all the way to the Will Smith of the right. Everybody in between 
can have a diverse voice so you can read all these different perspectives and you can actually start to see how big and increasing and expanding black conservatism is as opposed to the smaller voice, uh, the voices that are currently being pushed out. So it started, site goes off, takes off. It was doing so great. And then it became a matter of this black person can't say that. Excuse me? No, no, he can't. He can't write that. You have to pull that article. I'm not pulling shit. <laughs> if you don't like what was written, you are more than welcome to write a response to it. I will post the response with it. And that's how you have a fucking dialogue. But I'm not, I'll be damned if I take it down. Two weeks later, my project was over. It was over, they ended it? Yep. You get a little uppity and you start telling people no and you don't do what they want you to do the way that they want you to do it, fashion how they want you to do it. This is what you end up with. And the only thing that was my saving grace because like this was the moment I was like, you know what, fuck all y'all. Like fuck every, like, like I was ready to do the that kind of dance and i had uh steve bannon come to me and he's like okay so now you see how they fight now you see their cars now you see how they go do you are you gonna let them win and i was like yo dude do you see like i'm i'm like pissed off like i put a lot of work into this yeah it was like you see you see it now are you going to let them win if you walk away you let them win and it kind of goes back to what he has said at CPAC, uh, Bannon has said at CPAC, they're not going to give you your country back. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to take it. And that was basically what he told me in that moment. They're not going to give you this seat. They're not going to give you this voice. They're not going to give it to you because you're going to say no every fucking time. So can you be strong enough to stay fight and to take it from them? And I was like, all right, all right. And he was like, right, bars at home for you if you want to stay and fight and take it from them. And here I am. Oh, so that's how you ended up at Breitbart. Damn, Sonny, you fucking my life up right now, yo. <laughs> Holy shit. Let's jump into some super chats. Let me let that shit simmer in my head real quick, because uh, Javon Smiley says, $20 super chat. Thank you, homie. He said, I got a lot of research to do uh, and bring to ADOS. Yeah, spread it to the ADOS community. They need that. Black Mountain Hotep said, uh, can we as black people, in your opinion, rebuild fully on our own dollar slash industry uh, without outsourcing of any kind? If you led, what would you do first? Um, I don't think we're in a position at this moment to do that. So I'll kind of go back to uh, one of my favorite things that Killer Mike says about those people who clamor for like the revolution. Uh, you, you, we don't have no food system set up. We don't have no water supply set up. We don't have access to medicine. We don't, we don't have, if we are honest, looking at black Americans today, we don't have the structures in place to just say, fuck all y'all. Let's do this shit ourselves. That is a process that takes time. The good part about it is 
We are in America. And you can say that America is a fucked up country. This is the greatest country on the face of this fucking earth. If we understand the American system and how it operates, how the Republic works, we can reverse engineer and take the boot off of the neck of black people. And I think that in of itself will start to get us back to a place where we have our own operations, where we're looking at it like an ownership society because we have no choice again. You know what I'm saying? And I don't even wanna, I don't wanna be forced into it. I would rather us go into it willingly, going into it with our eyes open, going into it with knowledge on the subject of what we're doing and how we're gonna do it. But I see more and more that maybe we're gonna be pushed into it than actually making the choice to uh, to go into it. If I want to, uh, the first thing I would do, say if I got in the office, I wanna run for mayor of Richmond and maybe one day I will. Um, the very first thing I would do when I got to office is I would kind of do the exact same things that Trump did when he got to office. Cut taxation, drastically reduce regulation. And that includes getting off of the books as much of the uh, debt and procedural stuff that Democrats like to keep on the books as far as budgeting. That also leads to more police interaction because you have police that are going out being used as a taxation force, not just police officers in the, uh, in the city because of what's been done to a lot of bloated budgets. So like that would be the first thing that I would do is understand how the taxes are set up and especially personal property taxes and especially for long-term residents of the city and their personal property taxes and being able to make sure something is configured in that area that makes home ownership and actual property ownership back the basis of what we are shooting for because that's the basis of actually having an ownership society and then if you do that and you fix taxation so people keep more of their own money and you deregulate vastly about, you know, instead of opening a business and having it cost you say $120,000 in startup costs because you want an actual storefront to bring it to specifications of what's in your city as far as regulation is concerned, cost you 120,000, 120 grand. This is why you had Trump saying that he paid both politicians on Democrats and Republicans in order to get his projects across. If you're a billionaire, you can do that. If you're if you're Joe Schmo that just live in the city and want to open a tire business or a mechanic shop, you're not able to spread money around like Donald Trump was spreading money around. But if you take away that need for that regulate regu regulation and you actually give people the access point of saying starting a business at fifteen thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, actual storefront, fully regulated, fully pressed out, fully ready to open, you're gonna have a lot more people willing to do that, and you're gonna start seeing city be rebuilt. You're going to start seeing shopping areas rebuilt. And I think honestly, if you give people the choice, you're going to see a lot less of the mega stores, like the, the bigger Walmarts and stuff like that. As people actually start to have more localized ownership, you're going to see a lot of pullback of how we've pushed so far towards globalism. Look, I got all in the weeds. I'll get in the weeds on your ass if you let me. Um, but yeah, that's what I would do. Just Focus on taxation, regulation, and creating an ownership society as much as possible. Uh, street politics with Talisha, 1999, super chat. She said, this is why I love her, and she's my mentor and currently teaching me all these things now. As my pastor used to tell me, who you under before you tell me anything? Mm -hmm. Word. 
Who will you under before you tell me anything? Real talk. All right, Sonny. So it's time to get messy. What happened between you and Candace Owens, yo? You, she was supposed to come on your show. Y'all supposed to talk. And it never happened. All right. So everybody knows where I stand and how, how I kind of feel about uh, Candace. So when the Kanye stuff popped off, when um, she lied and basically stole his brand and tried to pawn it off as her own, um, when that popped off, I could I should have had a laughing moment. You know what I'm saying? I should have had the ah ha 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 moment. That's not what I did. Okay. I went to her uh and I said, I take no joy in this. I try to live my life gracefully. Anybody who's talked to me understand exactly how I operate. I don't try to take scalp. I'm not combative if I don't have to be. I would rather be a chilling, laid-back individual. But if you push me into it, you know what I'm saying? I I, I don't mind punching back. And so when Kanye, the Kanye stuff happened, I wrote her and I was like, I don't take no joy in this. I don't want to see it happen to you. You know what I'm saying? I try to be nice, try to be cordial I, and just offer grace. So she, she wrote me back and she said, thank you. And I think I was like heading to the Apollo at that time. So I didn't have a chance to talk to her, but I had her in that moment. So I was like, I don't want to lose her in this moment because, you know, they go back to the other ones and the other ones get in their ear and they start, you know. So I was like, I can't do this at the moment, but she knows X, my, my person X. So I said, X, call her. He had, you know, everything. They know each other. Call her, pray for her. Like, that's all I want you to do. That's it. Just pray for her because at this moment, I can't do it. Right. And somebody needs to be in this moment to pray for her. Okay. That never happened. That never occurred because somebody doesn't, didn't want to answer and didn't want to. So we put that out there and I'm like, okay, you know what? That's cool. And I was just like looking at the entire situation, like, it's stupid ass Sonny. You, you, you're trying to be graceful. You're trying to operate thinking other people operate like you and they don't. So, okay. You learn your lesson. You try, you offer grace. It's all good. So I go back to doing me and I'm chilling. Everything's cool. So she writes me and she's like, I would like to do an interview with you on my show. I was like, the prager you. Yeah, no, yeah, her, yeah, her pregnant, you, her, her podcast. Right. And I was like, okay, like, really? <laughs> Is this real? Like, like, honestly, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work and this. And I said, really? You know, I, I ain't say nothing else. I'm just like, really? And she's like, yeah. So I said, okay, cool, I'll do it. So the first one was in California. I'm in freaking Virginia. I'm like, okay, so you want me to fly all the way to fucking California to do this fucking podcast? Like, my time ain't worth shit, right? Right. Okay, all right. For the sake of what I think I'm going to do, let me, let me go ahead and do it, right? So I'm going to go and do it. The day before I was supposed to leave, I got the message that she canceled. Wait, you booked your flight already? I didn't book a flight. Negro, please. Oh, I was about to say. <laughs> I wish I thought I would. Um, 
but they they booked the, they had set everything up so um she cancels the day before so i'm like okay yeah all right whatever it happens yeah i happen to john i know it happens adult so the second time she asks she's like um okay i'm gonna be in washington dc so you can come and do it in dc you you're close to dc i said okay that's cool the day no 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 wait wait a minute no yeah the, the the day two days before they called and canceled the third one was the funny time this was the one where um where i was like okay these motherfuckers have lost their mind so the third one she writes me um her her person writes me and says she wants to talk to you can she have your phone number because she wants to kind of clear stuff up with you so this was i think a friday and um she was like she wants to clear things up with you and i was supposed to record with her i think that next tuesday and this was a friday and so i sent her my number i said go ahead you can call me yo saturday vibe high saturday saturday while i am on my radio show live do you fucking hear me saturday between 1 3 and 1 and 3 p.m sirius x and patriot 125 Yo, do you know they called me while I was live on freaking air? They called me while I was live on freaking air to fucking cancel. Wow. And what were y'all supposed to do the interview? And that Tuesday in DC. And they called and canceled again. Yes. While I was on air. What's the reason they gave you? I don't. They. I don't even know. The third time it was something scheduling something, and I said, "Look, fuck you if I, fuck all of this. I'm I'm done. Like this, this, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame, shame on you. Me. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. My third time being fooled. This the last motherfucking time I'm being fooled too. I'm like I'm done. So I wrote her person and prayed with you, and I was like, look. I was like, because they were very nice. They were very, very respectful, all good. I had no problem with um, with uh, chatting with any of them. But I was like, look, I don't think your girl ever wanted to do this. I don't think she was sincere in ever trying to do this. And I'm guessing one of y'all suggested that she should do this. So don't ask me again. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm done. I don't respect any of this, and I'm done. And immediately afterwards, I came on Twitter and put on there, Candace canceled for a third time. And she came out and she, oh no, I can't believe you put this on Twitter and da 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 da. And then she erased all that shit. <laughs> like she always nobody know that she's a fan of mine. So she said. <laughs> I don't know how you could be a fan of mine if you heard anything I said as opposed to the shit you spit. Totally opposite ends of the spectrum. She reminds me of uh, you know the the gatekeepers you alluded to earlier. And um, you know what you was talking about. Everybody, huh? See, everybody on the on the on the Twitterverse and shit think the gatekeepers are like Candace and nah, they're not. The gatekeepers are the donors. The donors are the ones that put the money in place. The money in place are the ones that get you the speaking spots. There's the place. There's the ones that get you the placement. They're the ones that get you on Fox News. They're the ones that get you the agents that are connected to everybody. They get you everywhere. So if you go and you look at a 
list of conservative functions and take the speakers of on them lists and you uh, kind of compare from each conference, the speakers, and you'll notice they're the exact same speakers. All they do is pay each other to come around to their conferences. Money cycling the same money around. Cycling around, everybody in business. So the donors are telling these people who and who not to stand next to and all of that. Yeah. Or they'll simply invite you and put you in the right place. And they like to do that to make you feel good. And this is where I think where some of the young conservatives, I don't begrudge you your right to go to the White House. Like, I understand what that means to you. And I understand how big that is and how monumental it is. But you, I wanted them to understand that the people that invited you there, they know how monumental it is to you. They know how much it means to you. And they know how it changes how you look at yourself. Now you've been to the White House, you stick your chest out, you, you know what I'm saying? You, you ready to fight and to kick ass for this administration that gave you this wonderful trip to the freaking White House. It's the same thing. It goes back. It's nothing different. And I'm, this is why I'm telling you I love the culture. It goes back to Jay-Z and coming to age. When he go, I'm going to bring out the best of all I possess. My best car, my best jewelry, the best of everything. Then I'm going to have you ride around with me and the best of the best. And then you're going to be like, keep that G. I'll ride with you for free. It's the exact same concept. It's nothing new freaking under the sun. If they put you in access to all of this big experience that you could have never gotten to before, then all of a sudden you are more inept to fight for them. Here's the problem with me. Okay. They put me in big fancy hotel. I don't like the shit. Like it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it, it's not for me. Like, mm -hmm. I don't like to eat things that I don't know what the fuck I'm eating. So when you put me at this restaurant with all of this shit that I'm looking at, like, I'm going to wait and go get Popeye's. I, <laughs> I'm not fucking joking. I will tell them in a heartbeat, like, I, this is not for me. The only aspect of it, I love it, is like the $85 scotch. And they will be, oh, you ain't... You can't complain when they bring you $85 scotches, though. And you ain't got to pay for that shit. Like, that's a moment where you be like, okay, I can, I can take this. And they give you a $70 freaking uh, cigar. And you're like, I don't smoke cigars, but it's a $70 cigar. What the fuck I'm going to do? You sit and you hold a bitch in your hand and you pretend. So it's like, those were the kind of the two aspects of it. I was like, okay, I can deal with this part of it. But like, I wasn't I wasn't enamored with any of that. Like, give me the barbecue rib spot. Let me go and find a place that's playing jazz or have a battle rap competition going on. Like, that's where I want to be. That's where mm. I'm happy. That's where I fit. So yeah. you trying to put me in these spaces and thinking I'm somehow going to be like, ooh, it, it's a missed shot with me because it's not something that, that I aspire to as far as wanting to be a part of my life. Yeah, they try to put like all this nice stuff around you and make you get oohs and ahs so you're more sold on it. But and when that shit don't impress you. You will fight for it because you don't want to lose it. And right. that's, what, that's where they get you at. Because now you are 
attached to these experiences. You're meeting these people. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've been there, done that. Get why it works. Um, but eventually I had someone pull me to the side and be like, these people aren't stars. They aren't like what you're what you're making them out to be. They aren't. But you aren't going to notice that until you debate them. So this is like when I first started and it was like, so you need to get in a position where you start debating these people. Once you start debating these people, you'll stop looking at them as heroes. You'll stop looking at them as being superior. You'll stop, you'll stop wanting to run and get your picture taken with them. You'll stop wanting to do that shit the minute you actually make them show their intellectual hand. And mm -hmm. once I was told that, I wanted the intellectual. Yeah. Like, I didn't want the popular people anymore. I wanted yeah. the fucking intellectuals because I had to make sure that my ideas will work against the intellectuals, not the the popular people, not the happy people. No, fuck you. Can, will, can I make this shit stick to the motherfucker sitting across from me that knows what I'm talking about? I don't have to teach them. They're aware. Can I make my point stand out to this person? Mm -hmm. And that's what my quest became more as opposed to worrying about, you know, what the popular kids were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I challenged ABL. Some of my fathers have challenged ABL to come debate me. Brandon Tatum won't debate me. Why won't these people deba debate us? Is it because they'll be exposed like their intellectual uh, incapability will be exposed. Yeah. And a cultural disconnect will be exposed. Their lie that is working will be exposed. And more than anything, the truth of who you are will be exposed. And that's the part that frightens them the most. It's not about what deficit may be found lacking in them. I mean, look, you see all this shit they say they're still right where they are so it doesn't matter what their deficit is what matters is you got hotel jesus getting called out by ann coulter at turning point that's the shit that matters you know that's the shit that they don't want to happen and it goes it goes the same way uh for me for for years they'll come back after the fact and say well sonny said you knew i said that shit years ago we could have been talking about it years ago but you chose not to until the shit actually pre uh, presents itself and exposes itself. And now all of a sudden, Sonny, you were right. And I don't want to hear no Sonny, you were right. I don't want to hear no, we're cheering for you behind the scenes. I don't want to hear no, I don't want to hear that shit. If I'm the only one that's being vocally loud and you know in your heart of hearts what is right and what is wrong, don't fucking come to me with the sympathy and sad story. I don't want to hear it. I'd much rather take whole taps to say what the fuck they want to say and block your ass for speaking up. <laughs> I, I might take that. Uh -huh. Word up. Shout out to Ann Coulter for shouting me out at SAS TPUSA for the people who seen. Ann is awesome. I have, I have had the opportunity to actually speak with her on multiple occasions eat with her, break bread with her, fellowship with her. She is not going to back down off of argument. She knows her argument. She's very smart, very sharp. Um, she's not going to agree with you because you're black. She really does not give two fucks what color you are. And um, it, that makes for a real, real interesting and good conversation. So like, she's the kind of colorblind that I like. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. She knows that you're black, but she doesn't give a fuck. If she can out-argue you, she'll yeah. out-argue you and leave you dead and smoking on the ground and not care what color your melanin is. Uh, I like people like that. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. So 
Uh, do you think that Ann Coulter, after shouting Hotep Jesus out, will be, because somebody brought this up, one of my Twitter files, they said, you know, that's going to be the last time she speaks there. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. That's she, Ann motherfucking Coulter. That, yes, Ann Coulter, right? She's done, she's done her part to own her spot, and nobody's going to take it from her. And if you try to take it from her, she's going to be Ann Coulter, and she's going to make it, you know, impossible. She's going to write another best-selling, a New York Times bestseller that's going to force her name back into the conversation because that's who the fuck Ann Coulter is. So it's hard to cancel an Ann Coulter, but she built a career making it that way. And so you got to respect that. Oh, so I got, so Ann Coulter on my side is a really good thing. Oh, yeah. Damn. Uh, See, okay. I had to run around for years with them saying, you're, you're the black Ann Coulter before I was like, look, I'm fucking sunny. And, like, <laughs> and I get what you're saying and I can appreciate the sentiment fighting spirit and all rah rah but no you have to leave sunny to be sunny you can't put sunny in combination with anything else just let sunny rock so i think basically what they're saying is that there's only but a few voices who aren't following the script it's basically ann coulter and you right and conservatism well, well, well no, i mean at have, that time you have like um you, you don't have people who aren't following the script and then you also have the people who set the script. So the Rush Limbaugh's, Mark Levin's, uh, you know, Savage used to be real, you know, like, so you you have the people that kind of set the agenda as as well as the people who kind of stand out in the agenda. So it's, it's kind of a couple sections of it, but the people who stand out in the agenda, there are a lot of, you know, white people that stand out. So if you will look at people like Gavin McGinnis for that. And I fucking love Gavin. And I know everything that everybody has said about him and all the shit that's been put out with him. I have, like I said, I've eaten with Gavin on numerous times. I fellowship with Gavin on, on numerous times. Gavin is another one of the people that don't give a fuck what color you are. He's going to talk his shit no matter what. Those are the people that I respect. I don't want people who change their attitude or change their personality because they're around me. He's an asshole when he's not around me and he's an asshole when he is around me. And I would rather him be that than, than to try to be something he's not and pretend just because he's in my presence. So I, I really like Gavin. Gavin's a stand-up dude in my opinion. Plus he buys the top shelf when he takes you drinking. <laughs> he gets the top show when he takes you drinking, so it's fun to drink with Gavin. Yo, Gavin McGinnis, holla at me, man. <laughs> All right, so check it out, right? Uh, you mentioned Big Hat Boy, right? I didn't mention him. No, pr previously, before, <laughs> before we went live, you talked about Big Hat Boy. What's your beef with, with Big Hat Boy? I think this followed, did this follow the debate between Shaka and him? No, it was prior. It, it was, was prior. prior. He, yeah. he, 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 threw dirt, he threw dirt on your name? Yeah, him and him and the other little one. The Blacks of Tears. Them two went around and um, basically just shitted on my name for like three days straight, calling me a segregationist, calling me uh, just all, just so much different shit. And I know like you came in and you were like, wait a minute, hold, you know, you were trying to, and I was like, no, just let them, let them go. Let them, let them do it. Let them make their bed with me. That was kind of my point of what I wanted to happen. Let them, I'm a graceful person. I will forgive you until you get to the point I can't forgive you anymore. And that's where I was like, just let them get to the point where 
I can't forgive them anymore. Don't stop them. If they're not going to stop themselves, if they're not going to be self-reflective of themselves, if they're not going to take the time to actually go and listen to my speeches or go and listen to the stuff that I've done, listen to what I talk about, listen to why I say the things. If they ain't going to do any of that, but just shit on my name, then let them get to the point where I no longer have grace for them. And both of them are at that point where I no longer have grace for them. A lot of people on Twitter, they, they've come across me and we've you know, smacked into each other. We've had some disagreements, but they all know I offer grace. It, we we don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to be in unison on everything. I, I am able to have rational conversations with people that disagree with me, but fuck you if you want to drag my name. If you want to use that as your modus operandi, if that's what you want to be known for, then no, I have no grace for you, and I will never have any grace for you. And that's just where they stand at in my book. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's such a shame. So I guess they called you that because you're pro-black or something like that? or No, no it's because I they like Candace, and it was in defense of Candace. So if you say anything about Candace, then the small line brigade comes in and and tries to put you back into your place and makes you aware that that you know candace walks on water and and she's harriet tubman in the flesh and and, and you need to know this and bow down to it unless we're gonna come in like are you fucking kidding me i don't know who what playground you were on but that shit worked but you are definitely in the wrong arena if you think it's gonna work with me that's not no i don't even think that's so elementary that it doesn't even it doesn't even warrant a response from me, like in the sense of I'm an intellectual, like you are so elementary at this moment. You are so kindergarten at this moment. I'm not going to give you college level experience where you're at. You're not even worth it. You don't deserve it. And that's how I look at them. So people that want to learn, but I'm not going to sit and, and waste my time on people who are ignorant and choose to be happy in it. Yeah. They showed the ignorance during the debate and, uh, so we, we kind of know where those people stand now. Shout out to Shaka Shakur for uh, exposing that to us. We appreciate him for that. Um, I want to kind of segue into the apprehensiveness for a pro-Black agenda within conservatism. You know, you have the Blexiteers, which push back against it, obviously, because they have to be in uh, lockstep with the uh, rank and file conservative, right? What's what's going on? I'm I'm a little bit. I call I just say it's racism, right? I'd be like you just don't want to see black people do nothing for themselves, right? But at the same time, you don't want to step into our communities. Like they'll say, okay, you're we're all Americans, right? And say, okay, cool. So how come when these Americans complain about how the government treats them or how the police treat them, you don't feel any sympathy, right? So obviously, we're not all Americans. If they're all Americans, how come you're not in our communities? trying to help or, you know, clean up like, uh, you know, uh, Scott does, right? Because then they go back to step one, help yourself. You're an individual. Step two, help your family. Da, da, da. Okay, we, we've established step one and step two. Now we're at step three. They never want to go to step three. They'll go back to one and two, repeat and rinse, repeat and rinse, repeat and rinse. And that's that's just how, how it works. In their own communities, they are very, very fine with everything we're saying. But when you want to equally apply it to black people, then that's when it becomes a problem and a really big problem. So they'll say, like, 
I like to, to take the farmers and use the farmers because everybody loves the farmers, right? The farmers feed us. How can you have a problem with the farmers? So if I came to you and I said, as a conservative, I want to have an agenda for the farmers, you would have no problem with that. You would be perfectly fine with that because who doesn't love the farmers, right? Now, if I said that that's a white agenda, they would get mad. Right. It's not a white agenda. It's an agenda for the farmers. Well, 99% of those farmers are white. So is it not a white agenda? Uh, uh. If it targets the majority of people that it is targeting are, in fact, white people. But because I don't say white, because I say farmers, then all of a sudden it becomes acceptable because it's not about racial identity. It's about the identity of the occupation of the people in that area. And I'm cool with that. Each area, each city is shaped by something different. In some places, it's an occupation. Like here lives a lot of farmers. Here lives a lot of steel workers. Here lives a lot of X, Y, Z, whatever. So you have to, in that local area, focus on what is locally there. I have no problem with that. But when it is applied to the black community with that exact same spectrum, that exact same reasoning, that exact same rationale, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when you have to be colorblind. That's when you have to, if you use blackness as a metric, that is unacceptable because they don't use it as a white metric. Okay, you don't use it as a white metric. But there's a lot of other metrics that you do use that encompass a majority, a vast, vast majority of only white people. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not complaining about that. You are supposed to shape your local government as to the population that is in your government. If you have 90% white farmers in your community and that's what you choose to target, you'll be a dumbass if you didn't. Now, you would also be equally as dumb to go into a black community and not target them with that same kind of zeal that you have for the farming community. If you can't understand that the difference is not a matter of diversity or of skin color, it's just a matter of having the ideology on the ground. You have an area that is fully run by progressives. If you actually offer conservatism, you can actually have a switch. But instead, you want to bitch, moan, and cry about identity politics instead of actually solving the problems. And that's where the disconnect comes in. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, the, the Blessed Tears seem to be playing uh, Protect Massa, right? Like they say that, you know. They, some of them actually, they believe it because of how they were raised. Okay. Like they, if you were raised in a red district, so to speak, or even in a blue district with red traits, you know what I'm saying? Health, wealthy, higher upper class. Like if you were raised in that community or in that spectrum and you've never seen the other side, I can't blame you for saying the other side doesn't exist. Now I can fight you about whether or not it exists, but I can't blame you for it. Right. And I think that there's a healthy dose of people who were just raised differently. He might get mad at me using his name as an example, but I'm going to do it anyway because he's a big boy. So take away Wayne Dupree. Okay. Right? That is legitimately Wayne as far as 
being very spiritual, being very stuck into the topics that he is and the way he explains it, the way he's not culturally adept as far as wanting to include that into his messaging. That's not what he does. He is sincerely and genuinely who he is. So I have had the opportunity to do a whole bunch of events with Wayne, where we shared the stage together, shared the platform together. And you have these two very, very diverse people that came from very, very different backgrounds, have very, very different stories, very, very different reasoning for why we are here, but we both see the same end result. We both can acknowledge the pain that is happening in our communities. We can all both acknowledge that there needs to be some kind of um, reconciliation between the black community and the aspect of conservatism. So we are very different in a lot of ways, but he is very genuine in who and what he is. So I will say for a certain segment, let's give them that respect because we don't like, we don't want to be judged and put out there like that. So we'll give them. And then you just have the grifters. Then you just have the rest of them that are, that are in it to get paid. Then you just have the ones that are, um, that are just, just in it for the spotlight. And I'll go from watching yo boo, Stacy dash. Yo, I wanted Stacy dash to win. Do you feel me? Yeah. I wanted her to fucking win because yeah. I'm like, okay, beautiful icon, cultural, fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah. I wanted her to fucking win. She got on Fox and was like, no, we shouldn't have Black History Month and BET shouldn't be able to operate. If there's no WET, no white entertainment television, then there should be no black entertainment. And I was like, fuck, she didn't. And uh -huh. then to make it worse, she goes on and I'm like, okay, you can see when she first started, she had a lack of knowledge. You would think if you were given a spot on Fox, you would actually try to learn some shit. You would actually try to catch up and be. No. Didn't even fucking try. And I'm like, if you had tried, then I could be like, I can root for you. I'm like, you're at least trying. You're, you're learning. You're advancing. You're progressing. Yay. She didn't even freaking try. And so as soon as you move Stacey Dash out of the way, we got Amorosa. What's the problem, Amorosa? Bend down and kiss the ring. You're going to do it the fucking way I tell you and want you to do it. And nobody is talking about this. Is how cowardice some of these Republicans are. Nobody is talking about how when she had her foot in the White House, she did everything in her power to make sure she was the only black person in the room. So if you go through and you look at the footage, she's like in places where she has no fucking business being for her position. Uh. And she's right there and she's the only black face. And she made sure she wanted to keep it that way as far as not letting people come in out of the White House and not filling a lot of the positions that Trump and his administration had open for black people to come in. And those are other people's stories, so I can't necessarily tell them. But I'm hoping one day these people get the fucking courage to tell their stories themselves. Um, and how they were blocked and they were invited to come and have job interviews. They took time from their lives, from their work schedules, came to DC only to not even have a chance to get the interview. So it's like a lot of, I can't tell other people's stories, but a lot of shit happened during that time period of Omarosa that I hope more people 
get the fucking confidence and, and just backbone to stand up and tell the truth about what actually happened. You know, and so well, then you have Amorosa come through. Soon as Amorosa was kicked out, you got Candace. It is a revolving door. Once they finish with one and realize it can no longer be useful to their cause, they just immediately replace it with a new face. So it's no, it's nothing personal against Stacey Dash or Amorosa or for that matter, for that matter, Candace. It's all a matter of if you look at the pattern and how they set it up and how they use people, I kind of feel sorry for Candace because you can almost predict what's about to happen next. Yeah, I do. I do feel sorry for Candace. People ask me, like, you giving up on her? I'm like, yo, I just feel bad because I know it's about to happen. I know it's about to happen. And you know what I'm saying? You can't say I ain't trying to warn you. You, you can't say I, I, I ain't trying to be a good steward and assistant and all of this because I did. You're the one that shitted on it. But if you, if you haven't seen it and you haven't noticed the pattern and you doesn't see how this play out before, then you're going to see a prime example of it. And white conservatives now who are so on board with all of this, how soon you forget. Oh, 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 how soon you forget. So as soon as they introduce the next black face, they'll forget just like that and catch on to the next one. Yeah. So what what is it that makes people afraid to tell their stories? Is it because their income will take a hit? They won't get those same looks at those stages and Fox News invites? Or they won't get access to the job. They still are active in Republican Party, party, party politics behind the scenes. And and state parties and you know what i'm saying they're they're in the movement so to speak and so they don't want to put themselves out to be um blackballed and not able for them to actually go in and take these positions and for some of those things i find that respectable because some people i find it respectable because they have serious work that they are doing and they they say, okay, fuck it, this opportunity didn't work, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to finish the work that I was doing beforehand. So it's some people like that. You can under, understand why they hold their tongue because they already have shit going on and they don't yeah. want to ruin that. But the people who don't have shit going on, who just wanted that job, who just got screwed for it. Those are the people that I really look at and was like, I never trust you. I never bring you on my team. I never have you in my circle. Like if the great civil war in the Republican party happens, trust and believe you will not be standing on my six. Cause I don't trust you. <laughs> so I had, I had a Republican out in Trenton, New Jersey, reach out to me and said, Hotep Jesus, I want you to help me run out here in Trenton. And, uh, I said, okay, no doubt. Uh, what are you going to do? And he started hitting me with the talking points and I'm like, all right, bro. Like I know the talking points, right? So he, he immediately got frustrated with me. You know, um, so I asked him, I said, well, what's the budget you got aside from me traveling with you? Because what I figured was, all right, so since you're not going to talk to the community, since you're really not going to do nothing, I'll come. I'll come stand next to you. Then I'll tell the community what the fuck they need to hear. Right. About this whole political agenda, not just him, this whole policy, political shit. You know, this motherfucker told me he ain't got no money for me. You no. want me to come work for you, mm -hmm. but I'm not worth paying. If you listen, if you, this is one of the reasons I like Tesla Figaro. 
if you watch her, she uh she's one of the, she's an independent. She's on Fox a lot, and um she used to work for Bernie Sanders. Uh, this is this is her major fight because it's not something that is restrictive to the right, but it's on the left as well. They don't want to pay black consultants for anything. They don't want to bring black people on and actually pay them. They want you to volunteer. They want you to do it for free. They want you to do it because you care about your community, because they care about your this. And for all of you that they have taught this lie to, I want you to go to Michelle Malkin, search Google Michelle Malkin, and uh, is I think it's like is activism capitalism. It's something along those lines. And it's it's an article that uh, Michelle Malkin wrote a couple of years ago about um, how this is actually a business that money actually rotates and leaves hands like free enterprise. And so when you're using your skill, your speaking ability, your content to give these speeches, you are operating within a capitalistic system and you need to be paid accordingly. And that is a conservative precept, especially if you believe in capitalism and you believe how things are going. Now, they also do have people that just go and volunteer because they believe in it and you know, they can't develop or um, give full time to running for office or something like that. So you do have people who choose to volunteer just so that, because that is the only part of the process that they are able to participate in and actually still live their lives the way that they're living their lives. And they're not going to pay you to consult. They're not going to pay you to travel. They're not going to pay you for any of that because they want you to think it's sanctimonious self-sacrifice that you would find this greater ambition bigger than yourself and then follow it. And um, this is one of my major flaws. This is something that I've had a major problem with because I turned down money like a motherfucker. And like my husband hates it. My husband is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, if they are not going to be representative of what the fuck I'm trying to do, I don't want to take their fucking money. I don't care what it looks like. I don't, I know the price tag. I have done this enough times to know that it's going to come with a price tag that's going to take more out of my ass than the check that I catch. And I don't want to be in that position or that place anymore. So I have like, I legitimately turned down so much freaking money because I just want to say no, if, if you're not going to advance the conversation, if you're not going to give conservatism equally applied, if you're going to try to make me believe some colorblind bullshit or any of those things along those spectrum, or make me spend all of my time talking about Democrats and how they're the real break. Like if that's what you want to do and you want to pay me to do that, no, you can find somebody else. I heard that big head boys for sale. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Like if you want me to come, you're going to get real content. You're going to get real history. You're going to get real context. You're going to get a real conversation. And the thing about it is the upper echelons, they don't think that the lower white people can handle those conversations. They don't think that they're ready for those conversations. They think that if we push those conversations, that they're going to lose their base. So they try to keep that as separate as they possibly can um, from actually getting us to that place where we're actually having those, those discussions. That's why I'm so grateful to have people like you and um, just new voices that are out there because when it was just me, it was easy to ignore just me. 
Now you can't ignore the whole goon squad. You know, like when you when you come in and you come in and you disrespectful to our ancestors or to our history or to our economic standing in the way we like to move. Now the goon squad comes. It's not just me. And that makes a big difference as far as the way people are seeing it and understanding that this diversity really does exist. So I'm grateful beyond the moon and stars to have you guys rocking over here. Yo, it's a pleasure. So can you just dive into the finer details of this thing, of how they don't think that the rank and file conservatives can handle this conversation? Okay, think about it like this. All right. Look at the establishment Republicans, right? right. So as soon as Trump ca came into office, what did the never Trumpers, the establishment never Trumpers, then mind you, these are the people that have been running the conservative ideology last 30, 40 years. They've had control over it, run over it. They were the messengers for the last 30, 40 years, right? So now when Trump comes in and they don't like Trump, now all of a sudden Trump is racist. And you're like, wait a minute. What are you saying about your voters? And they were like, well, they were racist the whole time. But we found a way to kind of cap their racism. Now here comes Trump taking the cap off and exposing all of their racism. So they literally think that their base is really racist. And they have this cap that they can put on of political correctness that, that keeps them shielded from being exposed as to what they really are. Now here along comes Trump and pulls off the cap. And now all of their racism is exposed. And you can see it by the cuteness of the trick that they do. Now they want to blame racism on Trump. It's Trump's fault that the racism exists. You just said it has existed this entire time. You put a cap on it. So what are you talking about? You're talking about establishment Republicans? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, if you look at the uh, the I would say like the Kraut Hammers, but you know he's gone. But the Bill Crystals, them, that okay. whole ilk in that sphere, all of them very, very anti-Trump. But if you looked at them before Trump came down the escalators, they were the echelon of conservative thought on the right outside of a Rush Limbaugh or a Mark Levin or them. These were the intellectuals that came and sat at the Fox round tables on Sunday morning and talked eloquently about the conditions. You know, these were the people that had the voice, that had the ear, the Weekly Standard, the National Review, conservative thought leaders, 40, 50 years. Now, all of a sudden, it's Trump that brought in the racism. It wasn't your actions over 30 years. It wasn't what you did. It wasn't your messaging. Now, mind you, you've been called racist this entire time. You've been, all of these labels, all of these things have been thrown at you this entire time. But now all of a sudden when they're throwing at Trump, it sticks. And it, it just goes back to, to, uh, to that whole idea of they want the base. They don't need the black folk. Republicans at this moment right now, they don't need the black vote. As long as they can materialize enough of their white votes, their white people to come out and in, they can still do it without us. Those times are fast approaching where that's no longer going to be the case.
And you would think that they would see that written and decide to do something different and to operate differently, but they're not. They have their fingernails clutched in without uh, any chance of letting go. And all they're doing is trying to wait out Trump. When Trump gets out of office, you're going to see that old same Republican establishment. A lot of those people now are quiet. They don't like Trump, but they're quiet enough to understand the situation and sit, sit down, shut their mouths. And then as soon as this 2020 election is over, you're going to see the rat races. You're going to see the true essence of the Republican Party come out as they fight for the remaining scraps left over from the Trump administration. Well, OK, so that's if Trump wins or is that if Trump lose? That's if Trump wins. OK. Yeah. OK, got you. Uh, so if this white base is not racist, what are they? Or am I not asking that question properly? Because no, the, the, remember when we had the discussion about uh, the four pillars. Right. And how basically the Southern white was reshaped by indoctrination. Right. Basically, they, they took their four pillars after all four pillars had failed. They rebuilt every four pillars. All four pillars. So they rebuilt the Southern church. They rebuilt the culture. They rebuilt the history and they rebuilt the family structure of what it was to be without to be um, white in the South. Why do you think that they are clinging to the Confederacy and the flag and all of that bullshit so sharply? Because that is a part of their rebirth. That's what was given to them as a part of their rebirth as a different explanation for why things turned out the way that they did while giving reprieve to the people who stabbed the United States government in the back by, um, by trying to, uh, to start a war with us. But they believe it because they were taught it. They were taught it for a reason. They were taught it so that they could adapt themselves to the talking points and the philosophies that are being pushed at them from their upper echelons and to come in and to be able to accept it. So they have been programmed to believe this stuff. This is why you literally have people that will argue with you that the Civil War had nothing to do with slavery. And they believe it wholeheartedly. You cannot convince them Otherwise, it had nothing at all, point blank, period, to do with slavery. Anybody who says it does is it, bastardizing history. And they believe it because that what, that's what was written to them. That's what was taught to them. That was what was orally passed down to them through heritage and through tradition. And it's the same thing with Black people. We, we got it the exact same way. Passed down, uh, Democrats, this Democrats that in our house, do you ever hear anything about a Republican being mentioned at all? Never. So the exact same way it's programmed into us, it was programmed into them. The trick part about white progress, I mean, white conservatives is you're letting your enemy trick you. That's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. So you're letting your enemy shape what the fuck you view as perception. That's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. So if you look at like white conservatives now, if you say that there's a war on men, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, they're all in, right? All in. Now I say that war on men has been happening to black men for decades. Like you, you just catch it on to it now because it looked like it's coming after your white men. But yo, that's been 
happening with black men for 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 long 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 time now so mm. can you acknowledge that no no wait a minute wait 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 so you can tell me about toxic masculinity the white man patriarchy the white man but if i bring the black man into any of that then all of a sudden none of the totals equal up anymore and all of a sudden now i'm speaking to you in a language other than english all of a sudden now, <laughs> i'm talking to you in a concept that you can't understand but you can fully understand what's happening now and it goes the same way about how they looked at Dave Chappelle when Dave Chappelle was like, I'm looking at the opioid jump, like, ha, ha, ha. Y'all ain't seem to give a fuck when it was happening to us. And like, yeah. it, it's the same thing, that exact same formula that they used on us. They're now just using, you know, they yeah. used it on us. Now you're getting the cold. Now yeah. the disease is spreading, the virus is shifting, and that shit is coming right into your door. And instead of you, being smart enough to be like, you know what? Let me cure myself for this shit. And then let me make sure this shit get out of this motherfucker too. So it's not gonna keep on spreading itself around. We just go uproot it and cure the whole shit. No, you don't even do that. You just sit back and allow yourself to continuously get sick, continuously get poisoned, continuously get death, poverty, and destruction over and over on a never ending cycle. And you're perfectly, perfectly, perfectly fine with that. All because you don't want to admit that they started all of this bullshit on the black man first. Yeah, yeah. Simply admit that they started all of this shit on the black man first. You could tackle feminism. You could tackle poverty. You could tackle uh, lack of economic stability in communities. So many things. Education. You could tackle so many things if you just admit what happened to the black man first. Now you can't do that. I, you know, I play this game. You know me. I play games with people's minds on Twitter. So, uh, you know, sometimes I'll say something like, damn, white men are under attack. Right. And I get thousand retweets. Right. But if I say like, yo, the black male masculinity is under attack. You know what I get? Oh, white men, too. White. Don't forget about us. So why is that? But they never ask you about the racial equality of it when you're defending the white man. Correct. Never ask you about the racial aspect of it when your defense is aimed at their protection. Right. You try to protect your motherfucking self, and they're like, no, nah, and then come over here and protect me first, and then worry about yourself after the fact. Like, no, nah, like this is why we don't meld. This is why we have a problem. If if that could be erased, we don't have to function together or like each other or even like the people who want to fuck with us will come and fuck with us and we'll invite right. them. In. We got no problem with it, but you don't have to, but you can't deny us history. You can't deny us principle. You can't deny us ideology. You can't say that it works for you is beneficial for you, but when applicable to us, it no longer exists. That's the bullshit that I fight against. That's the thing that makes it, until conservatives get this knife out of my back, it's no use in me looking at what a Democrat is doing or what a progressive is doing. And don't go and try to pull it out half an inch and think I'm going to be satisfied. No, get the damn knife completely out of my back. Then me and you can talk. And if you want to see a true warrior fighting against the left, knowing how they operate, 
knowing how to actually fight them and debate them on this shit. You got the right ones. We just ain't gonna do that shit while you still stabbing us in the back. It right. ain't happening. Right, you know, another way I catch them too is, uh, you know, they love to say, oh, we're entering this police state, police state, right? So they talk about all the things the police do to them, right? Now, if I say, yo, black man got killed getting getting whooped by police, they'll deny that shit. No, it's not. No, I just don't know act. They'll tell you submit and obey. Submit yeah. and obey. Just submit and obey. And I'm like, my thing is, if you say submit and obey, don't you ever quote Frederick Douglass to me again. Don't uh -huh ever use his fucking name in my presence again if you want to go with submit and obey see frederick douglas was a slave when that motherfucker was told submit and obey he kicked his uh his uh slave handler's ass he was like look this night nah i ain't got no more submit and obey in me if you put your hands on me i'm gonna fuck you up he put his hands on him Frederick Douglass fucked him up. And that was the realization that he had in his head that I'm not meant to be a slave. Like this, this dude is not above me. He's not superior to me. When I put my hands on that man, he bled. Mm. I am not fit to be a slave. It was no submit and obey. And yeah. that's what got him into the position to run away and actually become a free man and lead abolitionists back um, as far as getting the Civil War in action and actually letting black people fight within it. So if you want to submit and obey, like that is not conservatism. That's some progressive shit if I ever heard it. That's some Marxism shit if I ever heard it. Just lay down and let government do to you as you see fit. Ain't shit conservative about that. And our founders wouldn't appreciate that at all. Yeah, yeah. Yo, shout out to the moderators. Yo, please keep people in check. If you feel like Hotep Jesus will block them, you got my permission to block them. We ain't gonna have no talk back to my queens on my channel. So y'all got authorization to block whoever the fuck y'all feel like. Sonny, is the black vote going to be 35% in the next election? No, it's going to be stay at home. Stay at home? Yep. Woo! So it's not even going to move. Like, we're not even going to come out. I don't think we're going to come out. And I said the same thing uh, 2016. Um, before yeah, we had a lower participation. Yeah, I just said black people are not going to show up for Hillary Clinton. Like they think we're stupid. We're not stupid. We understand. We we we're figuring it out. And you might look at the older blacks that have been routinely in this and been voting for Democrats for 40, 50. You're not going to change their mind. They're stuck in their ways. It's like irrefutable tests that prove that once you voted for a political party for a certain amount of years, you're not really going to change your mind about that political party. So you're not, we're not going to win them, but we have a new generation of people that came up wanting to be hustlers. I like to call them to get up, get out and get something generation, that whole outcast movement that, that hit us and made us start looking about, you know, get up, get out, cut that bullshit out. Ain't you sick and tired of having to be wet out? And those were the questions we started to ask each other, uh, ask ourselves and start to reassess what we were going, what we were doing and how we were going to accomplish it. So I think that that's the mode I'd rather be on more than anything. Mm, mm, yeah. Talking shit, somebody talking shit about me over there in the comment section. That's OK. We got the hoteps on the job. They cutting them out. They know they know me. They know how I block. You know what I mean? That's why we got the gang gang in here. Um. Damn, Sonny, we covered so much. I still got one more question for you. It's a hot button topic amongst the conservatives, reparations. Reparations, right? So 
you know, I've I've been able to trick them into supporting rate uh, reparations. Right. I say white people should get reparations, too. Then they go, well, when you say it like that, all of a sudden I like it. <laughs> you always got to. And that comes back to what you said before about the individual. Right. When you play towards the individual, individual you get a whole different response. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you stand on reparations? What does reparations look like to you? I look, okay, let me put it to you like this. I can actually look back at the context of history. The case for reparations is a valid case. So you cannot say that the United States government did not make a promise to a group of people and then broke said promise. And has yet to this point satisfied that promise. That is the truth. And it, it really is. And if you are a person that cares about the, um, the truthfulness of your nation and the promises they make being kept, that should be something that bothered you. So yeah, be mad at your government for making a Marxist promise in the first place, but they made the promise. They did not honor the promise and that is dishonorable in and of itself. So let me just start there at that point. Me, the people that came out of that, those are the people that built the black wall streets. Those are the those were the people that stayed in those areas in the face of white supremacy and the face of where they used to be slaves, where they used to have that, their backs whipped and broken. They stayed there. They took over. They built. That is a legacy that far, uh, far supersedes anything reparations could get. If there is one thing that I would say reparations to the black community would be to give them a competing ideology that actually represents them. It is the one thing that they have never had in the history of the United States of America, a competing ideology on the ground, a two-party system that actually competes for and fights for its votes tooth and nail. The black community has never had that. When we first started out, we had the Republicans. Then we went through a phase where both Republicans and Democrats fucked us. And then we went to a, a, a phase where we've had the Democrats. We have never had a phase where we've had both competing on the ground at the same time. The reason that that's important is it hold, they hold each other accountable. Okay. So if you're not giving successful outcomes and the other side can come in and say, this is what I can do. This is what I will do. And then you can hold me accountable by voting this guy in. If you have no option to hold this person accountable by voting someone else in, you're not going to get the change. You're not going to get the buy-in and you're not going to get the results that you want to see from a system. So if I had to give reparations, I would give a two-party system that goes in and does the exact same things that I said, deregulates, Detax uh, uh, pushes down taxation and builds us back towards an ownership society, starting with the people that have lived in those areas for decades, centuries. Mm, I love so, that. Those ADOS, those ADOS people, you have a claim to it. Are my reparations going to look like a check to you? Probably not. But is it going to look at, like maybe giving you first access to some of the buildings that are being held up at Government Square and at a lower and reduced price that puts you in maybe prime time uh, location and retail at a very, very low cheap price because you are ADOS. You've been here. Your family's been here and you should have the first opportunity to crack at that. It will probably look more like that. The opportunity uh, for advancement and ownership as opposed to just simply giving somebody a check. Mm. 
I like that. I really, really like that. I really let's let's. I enjoyed this chat. I'm gonna just get into the super chats, and then we're gonna cut out. Um, let's see. Um, T West two dollar super chat. He says, "Isn't Candace one of those 2016 conservatives? She was a never Trumper." <laughs> it's uh, it, it, like when you focus on the one, you miss the pattern. And that's, I, I would rather people see and break the pattern than focus on the one. So let's, let's look at the pattern and break the pattern. And if you break the pattern, it does much more, much more damage than insulting a single individual. Yeah. I, I you know, I always impress upon the conservative base. I say, if you're speaking to, if you're, if you're listening to somebody who's never said anything you disagree with, you're you, probably getting I'll, grifted. Yeah. And that's why I have a lot of people that disagree me, agree with me on certain subjects. And I'm fine with that. You don't have to like black culture. You don't have to like hip hop. You don't have to like rap music. You don't have to like any of it. But you're not going to tell me that it isn't conservatism found in it. You aren't going to tell me principles aren't found in it. You're not going to tell me values aren't found in it. And you're not going to tell me to sit down and shut up when I try to point out the things that are in it. It's not going to work that way. And just that kind of strength coming in and changing the dialogue is just why I think we're getting to a place where we can have better conversations and maybe the civil war can be more of a renaissance instead of a revolution. And that's an option for Republicans, but it's one that they have to choose. We're going to close out with that conversation, but I'm going to finish these super chats. Carmelia 999 super chat. She said, fire emoji, changing my political affiliation to Hotep. <laughs> Every day a new Hotep is born. Brody McFarlane and at HotepCon. I don't know. We might be able to make that happen. Let's see. Hotep with it. Shout out to the homie Hotep with it. Loyal, faithful Hotep. Appreciate you, homie. Blood over everything. Hotep with it says, much insight and knowledge in this conversation. Yes, it is, my G. Yes, it is. So, Sonny, you've, uh, you've turned me today. You've turned me. You've brought me back. <laughs> you've you've realigned me because I lost sight of what I first saw in conservatism. You know, when it's I first so saw conservatism. You that uh, and everybody who who kind of reaches me in DMs. That's what I tell them. They they want to run you away. They want to push you out. They want to make you frustrated. They want to make you angry. That's why it's really important that you spend time with your family and your friends. And get yourself recentered re about what is important to you and why you do this. And that's my constant. Uh, I always go back to my family. I always go back to my friends. If I can remember, they were the reason that I started. Not yeah. yet this outside noise. As long as I keep it there and that realization, then it kind of keeps you centered. Yeah. You know, when I first got into this thing, I always described myself as a mercenary for conservatism. I never considered myself a quote unquote black conservative or conservative. I said, I am conservative as the adjective, uh, you know, and then when I looked at politics in America, I understood the uh, dichotomy, the bipartisanship. Right. You got a left and a right. And that's just is what it is. It's going to be like that for a long time. So it's you pretty much have to choose a side. And then, you know, like you say, renaissance that side. Right. So for a while, you know, uh, I gave up on the conservatives. I mean, y'all stupid. I'm done with this shit. Y'all out. But you've given me a new light to say, oh, y'all dumb and stupid. I'm going to take this shit over. You know yep. what I'm saying? And it, has to, and it has to be. That has to be our response. If we know that they're dumb and stupid, how are they beating us? 
Right. And our conservative nature says no way in hell. No right. way in hell. And that's the point where we're at now. And it doesn't mean that they're going to stop trying. It just means that we have to know that they are trying so that we don't get mad and fall for it. And that was one of the hardest lessons I had to learn in all of this. Yeah. Like, I'm never going to not think about my people. You know, I'm never yep. going to not be pro-black, quote unquote, you know. Um, and that's not to say that I'm anti-white, you know what I mean? And none of that race. I don't think about y'all like that. You know what I mean? But uh, it's uh, it's very difficult. When you say, see, when you say you don't think about them like that, then they're going to be like, oh, you're racist, you're racist. And the, the difference between like a hotel and me and the people who are calling us racist, both of us can go in front of a white audience and still have our conversation. We can, we can go in front of a white audience and still do our thing. You couldn't go in front of a black audience and still pull that off. That's <laughs> what the difference is. If, if you were wondering where the, the spectrum lies, both of us could take a white audience. You couldn't take a black one. Who couldn't take a black one? Could those conservatives that want us to play colorblind or play in a sandbox that's not necessarily built or confined for us. So they want the conversation to always include them when we're not even thinking about them in that totality in, in that arena. We're not you know, we're not even considering you at that moment. But when we have a bigger contextual conversation about conservatism and we introduce black people into that conversation, then all of a sudden it's you who bring white people in. It's you who make them a part of this conversation. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Um, if you think that something I'm saying that relates to black people also applies to white people, then fucking apply it. You don't have to tell me that. You can just yeah. apply the shit and just call it a day. And if you were really colorblind, you could do that without mentioning it to me. Oh, uh, if you were really colorblind, you could do that without mentioning it to me. That's real talk right there. That's real talk, you know, because that's my beef. It's like, as soon as I say something that's even remotely pro-black, here they come. And now I just want to, like, start cussing niggas out. You know what I'm saying? I just want to cuss them out. Like, yo, shut the fuck up, yo. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that like, shit really... Just remember, some of those people are literally designed to run you away. That's their job. That's what mm. they're there for. And it's no, it's not, it's not a bigger uh, win or advantage to actually let punk bitches run you off. Like that's not how it should work either. So yeah. you can be aware that the majority of them would look down at their feet if they walked across you in public. So it's not something that you need to be looking at somebody on Twitter and thinking that they're actually valid in what they have to say. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Tucker Dot Vote while I got him on my mind. Uh, Antoine Tucker running for AOCC. He's had some problems with, uh, you know, Candace told him she'd support him while he ran. And then as soon as the establishment uh, black conservative came around, she ditched him. And uh, I feel bad for dude. So I just wanted to make sure y'all go to Tucker.vote and um support support that man and running for that seat. Sonny, how do we how do we fight this civil war and conservatism? How do we create this renaissance? What's the game plan? Hey, you're doing it. You okay. are doing it. We are doing it. Uh we're doing it. Okay. We're creating our own platforms. They don't have to let us in. We got our own shit now. And it's not and it, and it's growing exponentially about the people who are throwing their hat into the arena and, and actually starting to uh, to join into this conversation and, and change some things. So 
we're in the midst of starting the conversation. That's the best we can get at this fucking moment, especially in the midst of, of a 2020 presidential election. We just, just forcing the conversation. I think Donald Trump had the ability to make this completely different, but he listened to the people around him instead of doing what he knew. He forgot he knew us. Like beforehand, you know how like when they always say, well, all of the rappers like Donald Trump before he ran for president. As soon as he ran for president as a Republican, they no longer liked him. How about as soon as he ran for Republican, he forgot what he knew about us. He forgot that there's a certain way you talk to us. There's a certain things that we gravitate to. The reason that you're in all of those pictures with all of those black icons is because you recognize them as black icons. You saw something in them. And it goes back to like the video with uh, President Trump went, well, he wasn't president then, he was just Trump. And he was in a room with, I think it was Cameron and they were doing an interview. And he was like, yo, I can just smell the money in this room. <laughs> like what made you forget who we are? Yeah. That was the stuff that endeared you to black people. That was the stuff that made people want to be photographed with you, want to move like a boss like you do, want to be kind of in that Donald Trump sphere. And that made them put your name and their lyrics and their songs. Why did you forget that about us? Yeah. Why you are so worried and your people are so worried about why we changed. What changed about you? What did you forget about us? And maybe if you remember that, we might could actually salvage something. So you said uh, keep pushing the conversation. What's the conversation? Is it? I know some of it's got to do with some of that pro-black touch to it. Is there more to the conversation than that? Is it keep? Is it keeping people diversity. honest to the conversation? Diversity of thought over diversity of color. So, like, what it is is completely always that we're pushed into thinking that this is identity politics, that this is black. It's not fucking that. It's a diversity of thought. You have a lot of black conservatives and Republicans that will spit the same fucking talking points that you spit. It's not a matter of diversity of color. It is a diversity of thought. Can you think this differently? Can you attach it to culture? Can you attach it to faith? Can you attach it to your community? Can you attach it to your history? Where is your diversity to make this argument? That's the point that is missing. So you and I believe in Marxism and, you know, you say communism outright. I like to use Marxism because it shades his name over so many different places. But we do it differently. Right. We can talk about it together, have fire conversations. You fill in things I don't know. I might throw in things you don't know. We give and take, make better conversation for it. That's a diversity of thought. They don't want diversity of thought. They think that they achieve diversity of color, then they have won some victory, and then they wonder why they keep losing. Uh, uh. Book list, the reading list, what do you got for us? Like I said, challenge first and foremost, especially if you live in a Black community, go see a Black historical society, learn the people that actually walked the streets that you walked. And I swear, this is one of the biggest things that changed my life. When I started to learn about Maggie Walker, when I learned started to learn about, you know, what built Richmond into a powerhouse. And I'm like, you really got to think about it in terms of Richmond. It was the center of the Confederacy. It was the capital of the Confederacy. It was it was their heart. 
And right in their heart, we built a Black Wall Street. Right where they put up statues of Robert E. Lee and they did everything that they could to make us feel less dead, even after the Civil War. And they, they put up right in the middle of the fucking city. And then if you go five blocks from that statue, you're right into uh, Jackson Ward. You're right into the Black Wall Street mecca of agriculture, of finance, of, of industry that was in Richmond, five blocks away from what they tried to do to us. That's the point where you start looking at history differently. You start looking at it not as a whole bunch of shit that happened to old people. No, this is the building blocks that made the shit you see around you what it is. So definitely, if you live in a black community, go and um, go and check out your black historical society. I promise you, it will not disappoint. If you want to look at just the four basic tenets of history, check out read Booker T. Washington. Don't just read his books. I mean, no, start off with Frederick Douglass. Don't just read his books. Go read his speeches. All of his speeches are not in his books. If you want to get context for one, you're going to need to find the other. And a lot of the material kind of crossbreeds with itself because Frederick Douglass only has um, my life and life and times of Frederick Douglass. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but that one, uh, go back and read his speeches, especially uh, some of the debates that he had with Lincoln in the White House, exceptional. So I would say that as far as understanding that concept of Frederick Douglass history. Booker T. Washington uh, from slavery will get you the second part of history. If you notice, I'm going in sections. So you went from slavery to the Booker T. Washington era. So go from Frederick to Booker T. Washington to Garvey. Then you understand where we start to split, where Marxism starts coming in, how they start to fight back against that. Also, I would suggest Carter Woodson for that time because he was really trying to warn on the historical front about some of the things that were coming through. Don't just read his books, also read his speeches and some of the uh, op-eds that he had in newspapers. And I'm saying this because history is a chore. If you want to learn it, there's not a, a book I can say you're going to find all of this shit. This took me years of resourcing and going through shit to put all this shit together. So it's not a single book. You can just say, go and read this fucking book and you're going to get it all. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. So you take Frederick Douglass, you take Booker T. Washington, add in a little Carter Woodson. Don't forget Malcolm X. But if you're going to study X, I like to study it in relation to MLK so you can understand the differences. Because so many people like to lump them all in like they were the same. They weren't the fucking same. Understand the difference in ideologies and don't just link them in together. And also understand the work that, that was done by people like Medgar Evers. So there were people who led the movement and it was people who made sure people in the movement were okay. Those were the people like Medgar Evers. So as you started all of the, all of the, um, the protest and all of that, that was stopping people from working. It was stopping people's transportation. It was stopping people from being able to feed their kids, put clothes on their, uh, on their kids' back. So it was people like uh, Mega Evers who actually put programs together to take care of the needs of the people while the protests were going on. So it's things like that you need to kind of grasp together. And then don't neglect the history that's being written today. So it's not being written in books necessarily. 
it's being written in lyrics. It's just a different way of storytelling. It's the way that we have um, started to transcribe our stories. Please be very discriminate in who you're listening to and what you choose to believe as real and as far as fiction is concerned. But a lot of the progressive death, poverty, and destruction, you can follow through the initial phase of hip hop, which started in New York, the secondary phase of hip hop, which started in Los Angeles, the third phase of hip hop, which moved down to Atlanta. If you studied them in those three parts and looked at the lyrics as they grew, you will start to see how we move from progressivism into capitalism and now towards conservatism. So you can find most of that story located in our music, not in any books. Mm, mm. Lord have mercy. Y'all witnessed history right here. Y'all witnessed history right here. This is, I have to say, is my best interview I've done yet. You know, I got to put that right up there. I'm going to say it right now. Uh, Brody McFarland, 199, he said, uh, conservatism applied equally is Hotep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, I uh, like that wordplay you got. Yeah, he said, can you do this every Friday, Friday night, fireside? I actually do do this every Friday. I just, like Sonny says, I have a diversity of thought. Like, I'm going to be coming back with somebody. We're going to be going over the philosophy of math, you know? Uh, yeah, and that's what I'm saying when you ask me how you do it. Your, your Bitcoin conversations, like everything you branch, that's how you do it. You are showing how diverse we are. And that's why I like to bring you on and like all the other people from Twitter that I bring on and we have these conversations. I had had Shaka on, I, you know, like all of these people, they all have something different that they specialize in, something that's different, that's their passion. And it shows how diverse we actually are. We don't have to stick to these talking points. We don't have to stick to this dumb ass messaging. We are brilliant. We are smart. We are diverse in thought. And if we all came together and actually showed that diversity like we're doing now, we're going to push a conversation that they're not willing to have, ready to have, but I'm more than willing to see take place. I think that's the thing we take home today is diversity of thought. Yeah. I think that's a great way to tell Who's on your side or who's ready to push this thing? Who's ready to push America forward? Are they spitting the same thoughts back at you over and over again? Or do you see some diversity? Are they coming with Bitcoin? Are they coming with artificial intelligence? I'm just bigging myself up at this point. <laughs> As you should, you know, and um, you should continue to do so. Like this is I love to sit back and watch you guys. And I don't know if it comes across as much as it does. I love to watch you. I love to watch just the young, the hoteps come in and put their videos out. I love to watch them argue amongst each other and then walk away like men without hurt feelings and shit. I love this. Like that to me is like, this is what I grew up around. This is what the fuck I know. This other shit, this cancel culture, this, this, this bickering, this root shit, the root kind of conversation. I, I didn't grow up around that shit. I don't know who created that shit, why it was created, and it comes from the pits of hell itself. But this, this is what I grew up with. People who know who they are, people who are confident in who they are, who know their subject matter and stick to their subject matter and don't mind that other people have lanes that are not meant for them. They know their lane and they're good with that. And I respect people like that. Word up. Damn. Whew. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. 
I can't wait to do this again. Um, but we're gonna do this again. <laughs> Just let me know. You know, I'm always gonna show up for hotel. Word up, y'all. Y'all seen it? Go, go. Hit the like button first of all. Hit the subscribe button second of all. Because I'm bringing you some of the best conversations, some of the best minds, some of the greatest people you'll ever see in your life. And I want y'all to continue tuning in. So make sure y'all hit that subscribe button. We're signing off. This was history. Go tell people. Go go share this on Twitter. Hit the retweet button now. Hit the share button now. Go share this with people because this conversation was epic. I'm out. Thank you. God bless and have a good night.